Welcome everyone to Dabu's Fingers episode 73, Desperate Times. I'm Scatty and with me as always is my buddy Matt. Hey everybody, we continue our reread of A Feast for Crows and the Dance with Dragons in a tandem reread that we call Feast with Dragons, or Feast Dance. Wait, we call it Feast Dance, right? The website we where you can dance. find the reading order is afeastwithdragons.com. We are staying in A Dance with Dragons again this episode. We've got Cersei 2. Tyrion 12, the King Breaker, the Dragon Tamer, and John 13. This, my friends, is a dense set of chapters. It'll be fun. Yeah. Very dense. My chapter summaries, Matt, they're long. <laughs> Especially this John chapter. It's long. It probably needs there's to a, be long. There's a lot going in. Well, when it's long, yeah, you got a lot going in, and that's fine. (laughs) So I think we should explore it for all it's worth. I think Mm -hmm. we should move up and down that chapter. Uh, Just, yeah, just chew on it for a while. Fill fill all the gaps. Yep, just chew on it for a while. Just suck that thing dry. So, Right. Yep. Uh... Right. We so, are live. Uh-huh. A couple of announcements. Uh, so, first of all, we are coming to an end. As, as Matt said, we're getting very close. Uh, we have this episode, and then we have one more episode, which will actually only have four chapters in it, I think. Yeah. It's an epilogue, the last feast chapter, chapter which is a Sam one, and uh, a couple others. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and then we're done with these five books. Uh, and we've been talking, you know, writing back and forth, thinking about, you know, what would be next. We've certainly weighed, had had people weigh in in, in various areas. And uh, you know what? We decided. We decided the best thing we can do probably is keep it keep it close to home, right, Matt? Absolutely. So For now, at least, yeah, yeah. Who knows what we'll do? We're Davos fingers. We kind of <laughs> just do what we want. Yeah. <laughs> um. But I am proud that Scad. Once we get on a path, we stay on that friggin' path. We've we've gone through these books, man. Four years, four years in August. Four years um, in August. Yeah. Holy crap. Uh, so following a summer break, as we'll call it, for an undetermined amount of time, we are going to read the Duncan Egg novellas. That's right. Yay! That's right. Still kind of figuring out exactly how we'll chop those guys up. Um, you know, it might only be good for six or seven episodes. We don't know. we, we got to look a little <laughs> bit closer at, at what might make sense. Um, you know, there's a, lot of, there's a lot of ties to Targaryen history and how much we want to spend kind of making those comparisons and, you know, tying it back to the main novels and things like that. We, we're not sure yet. So there's still some, still some discussion to do about the absolute format and how much we'll cover. But um, that's what we're going to do next. I know, uh, I, th- I think most people will be excited for that. Um, you know, I, some people suggested some other things, and we certainly considered a lot of things, a lot, like four or five different options. But uh, we think Duncan Egg is, it's a nice little story, and it ties back to the series that we all know and love uh, really well and can kind of fill this gap, if you will in time it's, before the next novel comes out and uh, it's so much fun i love those novellas yeah. I, I think i've said this before but every time we take a podcast break 
I'm always like, I'm not going to read Davos. I'm not going to read A Song of Ice and Fire. I'm going to read something else. And I uh-huh. always end up reading Duncan Egg. And it's delightful. Just uh, delightful. See, I don't. You're going to have a huge leg up on me because I've actually only read that series one time. Oof, Just I think once. I've read it at least four times. Oh, wow. But... Yeah, you're going to have a huge leg up on me on the knowledge. Nah. Component. I, you know what? Maybe I'll read it during the break. And then, don't do and then I'll it. Read whatever you want. Two through. Read whatever you want. Yeah. What if you I want it. to? If you want to, then read it. <laughs> oh, man. All right. So that's uh, announcement number one. Announcement number two, uh, Ice and FireCon tickets went on sale uh, already uh, last yeah. Friday. They're already on sale for next year. Don't don't worry. There's plenty of time. Uh, the the show is until next April, so April of you know 2019. Um, so a ways away. Uh, we do have a special code if you want to get five dollars off. You know you can use our code fingers. That's the plural fingers. Uh, Davos has you know seven full ones, six full ones rather. Mm. Uh, so fingers, if you want to use it. So I'll be going again. I don't have my ticket yet, but uh, I'll, I'll for sure be going. Um, and I had a blast meeting uh, people that listen to the cast and just interacting with. The big brains of the community. Uh, Matt's still a little bit up in the air on uh, what he wants to do, but uh, Scad will for sure be there. So if you want to go, um, I'd love to meet you. Indeed. And uh, that that's it for our official announcements, but I just wanted to throw out uh, my favorite sport is in the best spot uh, it gets every every four years is a World Cup. And uh, Yeah! Enjoying it, I saw you had a, you put a picture out there with you and your Brazil time. Matt served a mission in Brazil for those that don't know, and uh, is a, I think a, a big supporter. Yeah, I love the Brazil team. So when I was there in Brazil, they had so many good players: Ronaldinho, Roberto Carlos, Kaká. Uh, who else? Um, was that Danielson or was Danielson was before that? I think Danielson. I think was a little bit before. I don't think he was on the team back then. But he also didn't uh, last very long. I, I joined at a good time. Um, and it's been fun. They freaking tied Switzerland, but whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's an interesting year for Brazil. Yeah, so the, the U.S. isn't in it for the first time since, uh, you know, the 94 Cup. And, <laughs> um, so I feel zero guilt cheering for a different country. <laughs> yeah, and I have to pick a, I have to pick a favorite. Uh, one of my favorite players is Andres Iniesta. Uh, place for Spain, so I'm probably gonna head head that road. But uh, España, I, okay. I kind of don't love. They they play a beautiful brand of soccer, one that I really appreciate. It's very simple and passing focused, um, not direct, but you know, very organic in a way. And I, so I really like that. I really like it. But something about Spain, I just I don't know. I feel dirty rooting for them. I don't know why. <laughs> well, but embrace the dirty man. Yeah. <laughs> That feels like that should be on, you know, a bumper sticker somewhere. Yeah. All right. So enjoy World Cup while it's here uh, because it will be gone for four years very soon. Mm -hmm. All right. Let's move on. Uh, We are, like we said, there's only two episodes left today and one more, but there still might be a thing or two to avoid spoiling. And we will. All the way to the end, we're committed to being spoiler free through the main part of the podcast. But we will jump into some spoilery things in the Davos After Dark section of the podcast at the end of the episode, so pay attention for that. We'll warn you. 
Absolutely. And as always, we love hearing from you guys. I feel like at least I've been a little slow in my correspondence. Oh, dude, I've apologize been so bad at the emails. Um, I'm planning to respond to like eight emails tonight. So hopefully by the time people are hearing them, they'll have the responses. And, you know, you know, we're in that phase of life where we've got young kids and we got a lot going on, so we can't complain too much. I'm happy, but life is definitely kind of has us both up against the rings right now and yeah, punching us around, but that's all right. Um, yeah. But we love hearing from you guys. Uh, it boosts our days. So if you want to suggest topics, um, if you want to ask questions, if you want to disagree with us, we get that every once in a while. Uh, mm-hmm. If you want to tell, tell us what you do agree with us, we love that too. You can find us DavosFingers.com. Our email address is WeAreDavosFingers at Gmail. Twitter handle where we hang out a lot is at DavosFingers. We're also on Facebook. And you can learn more about our Patreon program at Patreon.com slash DavosFingers. So thank you to all our patrons out there. Yeah, we got an awesome email uh, from a guy who disagrees with us about the faceless faceless men and we're always going on about the faceless men and how inconsistent the rules are and all these things that we feel and he wrote a bomb email and we will reply (laughs) just kind of like explaining you know like how he sees it and uh and he was delightful in the way his name's cooper and he was delightful in his uh in his thoughts very well reasoned and kind about it yeah if we're slow responding, don't Thanks, don't worry. We are reading everything. We promise. We're just a little slow yes. in the responses sometimes. All right. Yep. Uh, okay, should we jump in? Yes, sir. We're on Cersei 2, and here we go. Oh, boy. Alluring eyes can get the guys With promises, lies, then cast aside Can't she be the man She thinks her family needs One brother she hates With the other she mates Those debts can she repay Cersei Lannister It is the night before Cersei's walk of shame And all Cersei can remember is a similar path Trod by Joffrey and his retinue On the day of Marcella's Dornish departure a path covered in blood that resulted in the murder of the High Septon, the disappearance of our kinsman Tyrek Lannister, the continuous raping of the dim-witted Lawless, and the heroic rescue of Sansa Stark from the same fate by one Sandor Clegane. She would be guarded to be sure, but there were guards that day as well, and no beautiful buck-naked queen to stir up the mob. Wait a minute, Scad, you have a horse and cart problem here. What the balls is a walk of shame? And why is Cersei doing one? Fair enough, good listener, I shall remind thee. A walk of shame in this case is a trek from the Great Sept of Baylor to the Red Keep. Naked. With a mob taunting you and throwing things. The idea is that naked and shorn as God made you, there's nothing to hide behind and you were laid bare for judgment. This is the only method the High Septum will allow to atone for her sins so that she may truly be returned to her son. Note, however, that a trial is still needed to determine her guilt. This does not absolve her of the crimes laid against her and will only return her to her son, where she hopes she can regain some semblance of control of everything King's Landing. So, the next morning the Septons come to shave her from head to toe and escort her to the exit to begin her march. The tower bells are rung to bring people to witness their queen's shame, and throngs they have appeared. In addition, a dozen rainbow-cloaked warriors' sons await to escort her, including one Lancel Lannister, recently one of Queen's fairly numerous lovers, and even more recently, the ex-husband of Gatehouse Amy. 
As she looks over the crowd outside the sepsis, Cersei clings to a hope of rescue from Kevin. From Jamie. But this is more Braveheart than Prince of Thieves, and Cersei shrugs off her robe nonchalantly and begins her march. Proudly. Head up and concealing nothing. She is a lion of the rock, and she was adamant that she could maintain her dignity through this, that her pride would not be ripped from her. She couldn't, though. And it was, though. Don't get me wrong, she was game for it. She gave it a good go. But the combination of the shouts of cunt, brotherfucker, whore, and others, and the slippery stones covered in rainwater, horse piss, and night soil that end up causing physical damage to her legs as she falls, and her own regret and doubt eat away at her composure. The crowd grows unruly as she continues, the chinks in her armor showing when she cuts her foot on a sharp cobblestone. As the insults start to focus on her beauty, it sinks in, finally breaking through her defenses. She has sinned and sinned grievously. Then the ghosts come into play. Her father frowns down at her. A young girl at a fountain accuses her with Malara Heatherspoon's eyes. Ned and Sansa standing together with a wolf. Tyrion lurking in the crowd and the full lips of her beautiful Joffrey, whom she couldn't protect. And at that, she was at the base of the hill, beaten down, battered, shaken. She starts the final climb. And man, she felt old, exposed. Her breasts are sagging. She felt used. And they had seen her now. I should not have done this. I was their queen. But now they've seen. They've seen. They've seen. I should have never let them see. She almost cries at this revelation, and she finally done. The weight of it all pinning her down. She is suddenly her grandfather's mistress, who covered herself in shame after his death when she was forced through a similar walk of shame, covering her bits with her hands, scrabbling like a crab, falling repeatedly and finally finishing the journey on all fours like a cur. And with that, Kevin and Lannister Loyalists cover her up, and she is scooped up by a giant of a man in a white cloak. Her knight. Her savior. Kevin had come through, at least in this, and so had Kyburn. Sir Robert Strong would protect her from everything. End of chapter. Not Robert Strong, he's a, he's a big dude. Where's he been hiding all this time, I wonder? I wonder, I wonder. Hmm. I wonder, I wonder. Um, yeah, so, I mean, I don't I don't know that it, it takes a, a huge huge amount to guess. I don't know whether it's a spoiler if we guess. Um, or whether we should just leave that for another time. But, uh, man, there's, there's a lot going on here. Um... There are there are limits to what the human mind can take. I, mm-hmm. I I remember I remember thinking thinking the opposite. I, I was in college, and uh, I think it was um, it must have been Kevin Garnett, who was a, a Minnesota Timberwolf for a long, long time. Mired with that franchise and not winning anything. Eventually went to the Celtics and won a title. Spoilers if you were planning to watch the NBA from 2008 or something. Hmm. Um, and I remember arguing with my roommate who was a huge Minnesota Timberwolves fan from, from Minnesota. Chanted from the North, Nate. 
Uh, he, Kevin Garnett had kind of lost it a little bit, and he was just kind of angry and lashing out. And I was like, you know what? He's paid a lot of money. He's paid so much, he should just be able to take it from the fans. He should be able to take whatever they're laying at him. He should be able to just ignore it. Hmm. And my friend was wiser than me. And he said, that's just not how humans work. Like, at some point, you're just, you're beaten down by it. You you can't, you can't, it doesn't matter. Although, you can't ignore it forever, right? It gets to you. And sure. Cersei is so strong-willed, so proud, so certain of herself. But this, I don't know what it is, 20 minutes, 20-minute walk, maybe, just completely undoes her. It's a it's a it's an amazing psychological thing to read. I love this chapter. Yeah, it really is. Um, it's hard to read, but I love it too. And uh, she she says that she would not see them either, referring to the people in the crowd. She yeah. says she would keep her eyes on Aegon's high hill. And I noticed as I was reading through it a couple of times that as she was able to focus on on the Red Keep. She, she does all right, you know, and maybe that's just from she's starting out, too, is before all the falls and everything. But mm-hmm. it's when she loses sight of the keep about halfway through the walk. It talks about how she looked up and she couldn't see the red keep anymore. Yeah. And when she takes her eyes off the prize, that's when she starts to lash out as Cersei does. Cersei lashes out when things get rough. Um, I noticed a little parallel between Theoden, her, uh, you know, the king of Rohan, um, also the head of the uh what's their names warrior's sons um Lancel oh uh oh the, yes Theoden. Theoden. Yes. Yeah, Theoden. yes don't know if he pronounces it the same way um but he's there to he along with some other warrior's sons are there to help escort her through all this and keep the mob off her and he's like trying to help her and she's lashing out at him and just be like leave me alone just leave me alone which I get mm. I get that way too but uh you know she's done the same thing with Jamie where he's he's there and trying to help her through a tough time, and she pushes him away as she does. Uh, it is a very interesting psychological thing to watch Cersei go through all this, uh, and you can't help but sympathize with her, right? Yeah. Or were you able to keep her at arm's distance still? Um. Pretty 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 well keep her at arm's distance. I mean, the way the way she's thinking about this whole thing, um. It's a bit, to me, it's a bit of, uh, you know, I, I, I hate admitting this because it's basically someone being tortured, um, but it's almost a little bit of catharsis that, that, like, she finally gets to this point we've all thought she should get to mm-hmm. for a while, um, and, and it's terrible that it takes this to put her there, and so I get what you mean about about pitying her, and I do, but as a reader also there's a little bit of satisfaction to see that journey come to this place. I don't like how it had to happen, but I'm I'm glad she got there, if that makes sense. You cold-hearted. I know. Cold-hearted I'm a, maniac. I'm a dick. And, uh, <laughs> um, I felt that way, too, when she started. And I was like, yeah. yes, Cersei, you're getting it. But probably about the time that she started to lose it, I started to lose it, too. And my resolve broke down. And I was just like, just get her out of this. This is terrible. Just just let it end. Yeah. You know, there are, there are moments where she's, um, you know, somewhat topically, I guess, um, 
focusing on on how she's needs to get back to Tom and that she's been separated from him. Yeah. And and that that's a focus for her just doing everything she can to get back to him. Sure. And in those moments certainly the pity's there. But I I don't I don't yeah, maybe I need to read it closer, but I don't feel like I don't feel like that's the only thing she's got kind of driving her. It feels it feels like the pride is in there. There's other stuff in there beyond just you know, getting back to her son to help her son. Um, I'd agree you know. with that. I would agree with that. It, she's Cersei. Yeah. And she's got that pride. And it's yeah. misdirected often. <laughs> yeah. But she does have that pride. And. Yeah. Man. I. I think the whole idea of the walk of atonement is absolutely ridiculous. Yes. Beyond the pale. It's horrific. It is utterly wrong on every level for what it's meant to do. Agree completely. I don't, I don't mean that I, I I hope I was clear. I don't mean that I like it or that I enjoyed it. Mm -hmm. I mean that I like that she got to this place where she realizes what she's become and what her mistakes are, and mm-hmm. I, I don't mean that I that I liked how it happened. I understand. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. the The yeah. thing is, is it's it's a walk of atonement. In other words, repentance. It's about putting off her sins, and the whole idea with with repentance spiritually, or you could look at it in a non spiritual sense and call it, you know, just self improvement. But repentance to me is is pretty much self improvement. It's it's to feel bad for something negative that you've done that makes you not as good a person, and you feel sorrow to the point that you stop doing that thing, and that sorrow motivates you to become better, to improve. Right? It's not yep. meant to just wallow in sadness. It's a sorrow yep. that is meant to lift you up to a higher place. Understanding that you're never going to be perfect and you're always going to be going through this cycle of figuring out things you can do better, feeling bad about that and allowing that to motivate you to become a better person than you were before. And and this doesn't do that for Cersei at all, in my no. opinion. No, This it, was just well, a hurdle does. for her to get through. Yeah, It's pure humiliation. It's tearing yeah. her down. Not only is it tearing her down as a person, it's tearing her down as a woman. And I think that really bugs me too, the misogyny and all of it. Um, yeah, there's a bit of there I want to get to later. I, okay. I, I, so to me, yeah, yeah, yes to all of that. And um, to quote the Bard, which I probably use this quote, it's one of my favorite ones. Quote him um, again, baby. My, Loud my and proud. Fly up. My words fly up, my thoughts remain below. Words without thoughts never to heaven go. Um, mm-hmm. It's from Hamlet. Uh, it's Polonius. Or, sorry, it's... Um, Claudius, and uh, <laughs> you, you, she's not sorry. You can't have a walk nope. of atonement if you're not actually sorry for what you're doing. <laughs> so it's, uh, like you said, it's going through the motions for her, and in the end, she she feels broken down for different reasons than she didn't even feel broken down for. You know, she feels judged by the people in her family, right? The, she's where, more angry. She's seeing them. Right? Yeah, and she, and she feels awful physically and feels judged 
and feels like her power is diminished. Mm-hmm. But I don't, I don't really feel like she's sorry for the things that she did. Absolutely again, not. In fact, she's more angry. She's going to hate yes. the faith even more now because of all right. of this. This is going right. to, this is going to just intensify the the lust for revenge and vengeance that she feels. But, but in some ways, like you said, the misogynistic side of this. Part of me is like, yeah, she should. This is a dick thing. It's a dick thing. Let's let's simplify it. Let's simplify it so much. This is an evil thing to make someone do. Horrific. Yeah. Right. So she should come out. She should be angry. Anger and hatred. Good point. In my mind. Yeah. But I don't know. Anyway, uh, I agree with you. Glad she. This is not a method where she's a little more broken. But I don't like how she got there, and I understand that she's, in essence, angrier also at the end. This is not a constructive method. No. This is meant to just tear her down. Speaking of the misogyny, and I know some people hate it when we dwell on this, but I, this is just a little thing. It, you know, call it like we see it, baby. I it just George does these things sometimes, and it just I just I don't know whether he's just like dwelling on the sex because he liked I don't know I don't know. But when they're shaving her, they're, mm-hmm. they're shaving her her mound right, and she has like basically like sexual thoughts of Jamie and like. I, I feel like this is an abusive process that they're putting her through. Something that is a method of torture, if you want to call it that. And I don't think it makes anyone feel sexy or remind people of sex. And I don't... I admit people are aroused by different things. Um, Certainly whatever gets you going gets you going, but I don't buy this one and I don't like that George went there. By, hmm. by making this shaving component sexual in any way. Right. I didn't like it. Hmm. No opinion. I didn't, I didn't quite look at it that way. So I, I find that you feel that way. <laughs> <laughs> you are 100% entitled to feel that way, and I see where you're coming from. I don't know that I, I have disagree. a response. That's she fine. often, when she does think of Jamie... In these later books, actually, anytime we get her POV, it seems to revolve around two things. Sex and come save me. Yeah. What can you do for me, Jamie? On yes. both counts. True. Yeah. True, but what can she you doesn't do for need me, to, She doesn't... My point is, she's on, like, the fact that she's... Probably but her mind even goes long. there. The, the fact that her mind goes, goes there... Is yeah. is is a wrong? It's the wrong place to go for me. I don't think she would have mm-hmm. thought of Jamie then, because I don't think she's thinking sexy thoughts when she's being abused, right? And may, you know, I'm not a victim of abuse, thankfully. Uh, maybe that does happen to people. I don't know, but it, it felt it felt wrong. I didn't like that George went there to me personally. Fair, fair. Um, I couldn't help but notice a little uh, just while we're on the topic of her being sheared or shaved. Yeah. Couldn't help but Shorn. notice the parallel maybe between uh, her and Jamie and yeah. Jamie shaving his head and how that was kind of symbolic of him, his kind of getting on a new path. Um, but yeah. I think that the differences with Cersei is if anything, it's taking her, this is taking her on a more self-destructive path than maybe what's happening with Jamie. Yeah, it's 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 not just the shaving, actually, to me, and I, I'm glad you brought it up because I don't have a note about this. You just made me think of it. Hmm. Um, it's this whole this whole chapter 
liking it, likening it to Jamie with the shaving, but also losing his hand. Mm-hmm. She has lost by going through this, through the crowd, yeah. having her self shaved and embarrassed. She has lost her weapon. Jamie losing his sword hand lost his weapon. Mm-hmm. And the way that they respond to it, um, you know, will be very telling. Jamie has responded in a way that we've been through this a bunch of times. His arc is fantastic. It's amazing to see, like, where he comes from through that. And that losing that weapon may be the best thing that could have happened to him, depending on, you know, whom, whom you ask. Certainly he wouldn't say that. But um, with Cersei, we don't really know. But where is she, where is she going to go with it, right? What 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 will losing this power that she had do for her or to her? Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, with Jamie, he had to hone another skill, which we could say was maybe fighting with his left hand. What is going to be Cersei's left hand? Do you know what I mean? What's yeah. she going to turn to? To what skill is she going to hone and sharpen up? Uh, because well, of well this. with with Jamie, I like I don't even know if it was his left hand. It was being involved. It was tapping into some emotional things that, you know, we don't really get much of his POV before this happens, but it was tapping into yeah, the fatherhood component. Because I, Tap- yeah, I didn't know how much he thought before that. But, right. It's true. Yeah. It's true. Um, you know, but tapping into always doing the right thing in the white book. Right. Mm-hmm. Making sure that he's going to be proud of what he puts in there from now on. Right. Um you know, it's it's not just the left hand, although that's part of it. It's tapping into you know using his brain. Well, yeah, the left hand is is symbolic, right? Of yeah, yeah, yeah. Interesting. So we'll see. Yeah, we'll see where she goes. What else? Um, you mentioned watching Mean Girls over the last couple of weeks. <laughs> yes. Uh, my my wife. Uh, uh, and when she teaches uh, girls at the high school level, and she says the same thing as Cersei, girls are the meanest to each yeah. other. Yeah. Hopefully, none of them are listening to this. <laughs> the meanest to each Eowyn's other. Eowyn's like, you got to listen to my husband's podcast. <laughs> you know, I Game don't. Of Thrones. It's to. on those books. I've never listened, but. <laughs> My wife hasn't either. Your wife listened a little bit, right? Um, I mean, like, not even a full episode. I think she's yeah. listened to, like, minutes here and there. That's more than Mrs. Uh... In, like, in the tens, right? Like, not like... Yeah. yeah. Hours. Yeah. Yeah. Party on. Yeah. <laughs> but yes! Why do they do that? I, well, I don't know. If we I, talk on Mean I, Girls, I it's to make themselves feel better. Hmm. See, it feels too simple. I don't know. We got we got a few fans of the podcast that are female. Maybe they can tell us why. Yeah, I, I feel I feel wholly unqualified to say much more than that. So yeah, yeah just gonna stop while I'm ahead. <laughs> Did you enjoy your Mean Girls watch though? I love that movie so much. <laughs> yeah. I only get like one night a week where I get to watch a movie and it's while I'm folding the laundry. And that was a solid pick. I needed that. I feel like, I, I mean, I'm older than you by several years. Uh, I feel like my Mean Girls is clueless. Oh, I, I yeah. Like clueless. 
Yeah. But I don't I think, you know, like I'll watch it when it's on. I don't own it and like plug it in every so often. I watched it probably in the last three or four months on a laundry night movie. It's one of my favorite genres is high school comedies. Yeah. And, and I can't, can't hardly wait. Can't hardly yeah. wait. Uh, my favorite high school comedy of all time. Is it I really? Love them. I love that movie. Close, close. Clueless is right there behind it. Clueless is number two. Yeah. Clueless is great. And uh, Mean Girls. Um, gosh, Breakfast Club is great. Mm. It's kind of different. It's kind of a different feel to that one, but I still like it. Uh, they're all bad, though, right? I mean, like, I know they're fun, but, like... They are. None of them, none of them really capture... They're stupid, and maybe that's why I like them. I don't know. Maybe. (laughs) I don't know. Kalisar, give us a high school comedy that really captures high school well. But it's got to be a comedy. It's still got to be a comedy, so, you know, like, maybe there's some leeway. Mm -hmm. I don't know. Anyway. Moving on. Welcome to the Davos Fingers podcast, where we talk about whatever the fuck we want. (laughs) Uh, all right. Um, you want to get real for a second, Matt? Yeah, I do. Cersei sees faces from her past. Walk yes, of Atonement. Does. Whose face do you see? Uh, whose face do I see on my Walk of Atonement? Yeah. Oh. Gosh, I can yeah. go first if you want to think tell about me it. yours. That, that, that yeah. was a, that was an ambush, brother. It was. Yeah, I okay. said. I, yeah, I said. <laughs> bad for that. Uh, I don't know. I, I've I've been. I, you know, I don't think I'm like evil. You know, to right. people, but pr- probably my girlfriend from college. Who, um, you know, like I, I think I think just ignorance. I mistreated her through ignorance, which is sad. But uh-huh. I'm, I'm a pretty selfish person. I, we've probably talked about that before. Well, um, I think I didn't realize what I was doing. Um, but I think I think I'd see her face first. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I would have to go back, back to probably a, a girlfriend as well. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I don't. I just realized what I what people might think I admitted to. I didn't physically harm her or anything. <laughs> like I didn't clear you know, the air. There's no like yeah, clear yeah. the air. This is not like a me too thing. I wasn't like you know abusive in any way. It was just kind of um, I don't know. I don't even know how to explain it. Like I just controlled the relationship a lot, right? Uh-huh. I'm like we did what I wanted to do, you know. Like I wasn't mean about it, but it was just it was not equal, right? That's but fair. I didn't even realize until I look back. That's fair. It's very fair. Um, I have, uh, a long time ago, probably back when we were reading Game of Thrones, I told a story about the girlfriend who I kind of just stopped talking to. Do you remember that one? No. I don't remember that one. Yeah. So, long story short, I was dating this girl in high school. She was younger than me. I graduated high school. Uh, she was very interested in keeping the relationship going. I was at first, and then as I started to go to college, I and I'm not this type of guy. I know guys say that all the time, right? But uh, I just I'm, said it. I'm, 
<laughs> I'm a nice person, I think, yeah. but I wasn't yeah. here. And yeah. I kind of just let things go and I didn't give her any sort of closure or anything like that. And it was a horrible, horrible thing that I did. And uh, so I would, I would see her and I still feel terrible about it to this day. We've talked about it. I'm happily married. She's happily married. You know, we both moved on, but that was still just a terrible way to, to treat a person. And uh, I've, I've learned. So I would see her face. Thanks for asking, Scat. You're welcome. Hey, I wanted to I wanted to go deep after uh, you know that silly clueless discussion. I thought of another one I love. Easy A. You seen that one? Easy A. Yeah, that one's yeah, good. That's a good one. Dazed yeah. and confused. Oh, dazed and confused is yeah, that's classic. classic. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Ten things but, I, I mean, hate about like, you. That's, pretty that's good like too. Hardly. That's like hardly even a high school. And and ten things that well, yeah, what you is more. But I mean, that's the days are confused about a party one night. You know, like it's it is the kids are in high school, but there's, I guess the same thing could be said for. Well, that's can't, can't hardly wait. wait. Yeah. 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 It's true. It's true. All right, okay. moving on. Yep. Uh, you got anything else for Cersei? Uh oh man, George just here at the end of this fifth book, he gives us a tiny little glimpse into what could have been. Um we got it before in uh with yeah. Game of Thrones um a little bit, but uh Cersei reaffirms that Eddard Stark was not supposed to die. Yeah. He was meant to be sent to the wall uh to take the black and then she even, they had this all laid out. Uh, Rob was going to be made Lord of Winterfell, so Winterfell would have remained with the Starks. Sansa mm-hmm. was to have stayed at court as a hostage, as generally happens with these things, to guarantee good behavior on the Starks' part. But uh, Cersei did say that she would have set her up with a good marriage. Uh, she mentioned Quote, unquote, good marriage, where she doesn't yeah. get to choose, but, you know, it's like... By good, good standing you know, marriage, right? A good yeah. family, yeah. Well, yeah, yeah, not even yeah. a good family. She said it would be a Lannister marriage, so there'd be money involved. <laughs> um, definitely the dysfunction that comes along with the Lannisters. She said definitely not Joff. She wasn't going to marry Joffrey, but maybe one of like Kevin's boys or something, which might yeah. have been okay. So, uh, but yeah, just just George just reminding us of how it could have been, but then we wouldn't have had these lovely books to read for the past four years. So yeah. Yes, indeed. Can you imagine Eddard and John at the wall together? Those I mean, guys would have torn up. Yeah, sounds like a great story. Yep. Fanfic, anybody? Maybe Ed Eddard could have finally told him who his mom was. Maybe. Yeah. Yeah. That conversation that still eats at me that he never had. Like, you know what happens when people go south. Have that conversation before you leave, maybe. Yeah. Maybe put the write it down and put it in a time capsule or something. Tell John yeah. where to dig it up. I don't know. Something. Don't open till I'm beheaded in the public square. <laughs> open if I die. All right. Uh, should we move on to Tyrion? Let's do it, man. Okay. Cripples and bastards and broken things, but the power of the mind can give you wings. Drinking and japing and yeah, ladies. Tyrion Lannister or Imp, if you please. Of all the chapters, 
in this episode. This one might be the one we move through the quickest. Uh, <laughs> on that lovely note, yeah, let's get into it. No, it's still a great chapter. But, you know, if you ever thought there was a lot of papers to sign when you bought a house, son, you ain't never signed a chunk of your family's fortune over to sellswords. Indeed, that is the cost for Tyrion joining the Second Sons. We take you in as an escaped slave. You make the risk worth it for us. So of the 500-ish members of the Second Sons, approximately 50 stand to profit from Tyrion's recruitment, ranging from 100 dragons for sergeants to 100,000 dragons for higher-ranking officers to the final promise of cash, land, a castle, and a lordship for Brown, Brown Ben Plum. Holy shnikes, boys making out. Tyrion outwardly bristles at the bending over he's experiencing, but on the inside, he's actually chuckling. If he makes it back to Westeros and reclaims his birthright, he'll have no problem making good on these financial commitments uh, via the riches of Casterly Rock. And if he doesn't, well, it probably means he's dead anyways. So for the present, he's more than happy to sign a few papers in return for uh, some sellsword strength. He finishes the paperwork, signs his name in the Second Son's massive all-time roster book using his own blood as ink, and he's officially a member of the family. Plum does instruct Tyrion to keep a low profile, at least until Marine is taken and they're heading back to Westeros. You know, Tyrion is an escaped slave after all. Then he sends him off to the armory for his pick of the leftover pieces of armor and weaponry. On the way, Tyrion grabs Penny, who is still giving him the cold shoulder for not taking Crunch and Pretty Pig with them during their escape. She mentions how tired she is, and Tyrion notes a paleness to her, and can't help but worry if the pale mare has found his friend. But anyways, as they poke around the armory, sifting through the mismatched pieces of armor, all in various states of damage and decay, they encounter their larger companion, Jorah Mormont. With his bruises healing and his swelling going down, and armored in better pieces of steel pulled from the pile Tyrion is currently sifting through, Jorah looks almost himself again, save of course for the demon mask emblem that has been branded onto his right cheek as a sign of his recent slave status. So as Tyrion finds a blade that will serve as well as any, a mean-looking dirk, Penny mentions dreams she'd been having of her more simple life, jousting on Crunch and Pretty, pretty Pig with her brother, the crowds cheering and throwing roses at them. Tyrion snaps her out of it with a... He, with what he considers to be a light slap to the cheek, but it causes her eyes to fill with tears. But waterworks right now won't slay the lion, sway the Lion of Lannister, who advises her, if you want to dream, go back to sleep. Crunch and Pretty Pig are most likely dead. Yezin may have considered both of us special pets, but they, we were still slaves, and all the rest of his special pets, pets are certainly dead now too. So find some arbor that fits and get ready, because yes, we may be mummers, but no one buys dead mummers. Jorah remarks that they are well on their way to feeding worms anyway with the state of the Yunkish army versus Marine and their dragons. If Danny returns to lead them, the host outside Marine's wall is, pun intended, toast. Oh, I know, said Tyrion. The second sons are on the losing side. They need to turn their cloaks again and do it now, he grinned. Leave that to me. And that's the end of the chapter. So... Yeah, I feel pretty guilty giving that one, to be honest. 
No, that one's fine. It was an easy one to summarize, so thank you. Yes. You know how much I like writing chapter summaries. <laughs> I enjoy writing them. I know they are the long, longish part of doing this, but uh, mm-hmm. yeah, I, I definitely like like it more than you do. Yeah. Uh, yeah. There's there's not a whole lot there. I mean, uh, let's start with the you know the contracts. Um, it's hard maybe to gauge what the Lannisters are worth, but if you do the math. I mean, really, you know, other than the land and lordship and stuff that he promised to to BBP, uh, he's basically probably looking at like one hundred and fifty thousand gold dragons, which like it's a lot. But I mean, like I've seen, I I looked on, I googled online, and I think what I got was a Game of Thrones number, not a Song of Ice and Fire number. But Forbes placed Tywin as number twelve on the fictional character list. <laughs> of the most rich characters and gave him 2.1 billion. Uh-huh. Like 150,000 gold dragons. It's just it's I think it's chump change. Really. Well, it sounds it sounds like a lot when he's signing these things, but like for his life it's a clear win. Yeah. And and to be clear, he, he's given 100,000 to a few higher ranking officers. So no, we I don't think so. it's a it's a it's a hundred for it's a hundred for Brown Ben Plum, it's ten k for Ink Pots, ten k for Casporio. Twenty five. I guessed that there are twenty five people getting a k each, and then there's five thousand total for some of the you know lower lower set guys. Brown Brown Ben Plum gets twice as much as the rest of them combined. Even even if you double it though. Even if it's three hundred thousand, yeah. The point is, I think it's still low, right, compared to like what he's getting. Yep, I agree with that. It does. It does, though, bring me to uh, a word of the day. Okay. Word of the day. Yeah. This is a this is a reach around word of the day. Thanks to Queen Victoria for giving it to us forever ago. The word of the day is sells word. (laughs) <laughs> One that sells their word to a sellsword company in order to save their skin. In this case, selling his word that he'll pay. Yeah, that is indeed what he is. A sells word. Yep. Mm-hmm. Word of the day. Sells word. Yep, like it. Okay. Did you find the numbers? One. Yep. <laughs> it is 1,000. A hundred thousand would be a lot different. Yeah, and then ten thousand. All right. Wrong anyway, again, Matt. Wrong the, again, the, Matt. Anyway, the point is made. Yeah. Uh, the point is made. It's it's a good deal for him, right? And you know when he it's even noted in the chapter, right, that he's pretending to have been really put out, right? Well, yeah, and there's places in Casterly Rock that haven't even been mined yet. Yes, right. Like, they're doing just fine. Right. So, even with all the money that Tywin had thrown at things, yeah, they're doing just fine. I thought I read something... Yeah, it's fleeting. I thought I read something that indicated that there was something that maybe made it seem like there isn't much more left... That like the mines hmm. are not producing what they used to. I can't remember where that was now. 
And I didn't write it down. I should have. But anyway, I remember what you said, that there's still, you know, it's a it's a vast mountain of riches. Mm-hmm. A vast area of riches. Agreed. Um, yeah, so who knows? I don't know what his coffers look like. But... Can we talk about Jorah and Tyrion at the end here? Okay. Uh, they're basically... So, you know, Tyrion is basically saying, you know, we're going to get Brown Bum Plum to change sides again, right? Because you and Kai's on the losing end of this. Mm-hmm. Like, it feels like George isn't even pretending that this is close anymore. Right? Like, these two people who were, I mean, Tyrion especially, I think were meant to trust his brain. And they're both just so certain, right? Like, no, yeah, you, you and Kai's going to lose this for sure, right? Uh-huh. Yeah, and then on the other end, you got Barristan, who's got some doubts too. Yeah, you're no, no, yeah, you're right. He does. He has some doubts. And then the sheer numbers, I would think, would put doubt in your, in right. your heart. And certainly if you're not thinking you can control the dragons because Danny's gone, maybe that hurts the effort too. Right. I don't know, man. I just look at these, you know, with the pale mare and just the soldiers that we've seen just kind of like comically described. You yeah, know, you go back has... to Quentin's chapter when he's going yeah. through all the different sellsword companies. and Yeah. Yeah, and you think that what Barristan's guys lack in numbers, they make up for in ability, especially yeah. the Unsullied. So, yeah, be interesting. Taking the dragons out of the equation... You know, I think that's a fight Selmy could win. One thing that we you don't hear much about is the naval component, and maybe maybe yeah, that's they, meant to they be talk kind of about a they're bit coming. The dark. They're coming, yeah. yeah. But like that could be a huge thing. Yeah, ships from Volantis. Yeah, in terms of carrying reinforcements and mm-hmm. uh, blockading, preventing anything coming from the sea in terms of maybe supplies mm-hmm. or other reinforcements. I don't know where Moraine yeah. would get reinforcements from, but um, the point is, yeah. Victorian, maybe, depending on what that guy does. Yep, he's on his way. Yep. He All wants right. to save uh, his dragon queen. Is Lannister word as good as gold? Sure. Seriously lies all the time. All the time. Jamie breaks everything he swears, admitting, you know, what we've talked about before, that keeping all the swears is impossible because they contradict each other, but still, he breaks he breaks his promises quite a bit. Tywin is a noted hypocrite. The Shay thing and, you know, other things. Tyrion seems to lie to Penny regularly. You know. This is a maxim that needs to go or an axiom? Maxim, both it needs to go. Well, yeah. I mean, technically, it's about debts, right? Oh uh, yeah. But well, Lannister always pays its debts. Is about that, right? Tyrion literally said in this chapter at one point, "A Lannister word is good as gold." Yeah. It's crap. Yeah, it's crap. Of course, Fuck the Lannisters. Like I've the characters are I've I've appreciated how rich the characters are more with this reread, but I think also I hate them more. You still love to hate them, yeah. 
I love to hate Tywin. I just love to hate him. Yeah. It's delicious, my hatred. And I still hate Jamie, and I still hate Cersei, and I hate Tyrion more than I did with this reread. Oh yeah. So I think my so I think on, I, so much less. I think on aggregate, like my hatred for the Lannisters as a family has grown with this reread. Uh-huh. Fair, fair. Yeah. On a good note, though, it doesn't sound like a bad life for Tyrion. It's they basically plan to put him in carbonite and unfreeze him when he's able to pay. Right? Like they're like just sit down and write stuff. You know, like I don't, I don't think they're gonna put him anywhere near the front lines, right? Nope. I mean, I know they made they, him get. They armor, don't want but... him to die. Yeah. Yeah. Like I, if he dies, I, they don't get their cash. Not a, not a bad, not a bad life. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they wanna, they wanna protect this son. Yeah. They want their, they want their dough. Ah, oh, Tyrion's probably okay with that. Um, said that Tyrion. Bad. He says, Tyrion misses Jamie Shay. He misses Tysha. Yeah. Then he says, my wife. I miss my wife, the wife I hardly knew mm-hmm. in, in this list. Do you think he's talking about Tysha or is he talking about Sansa? I don't know. I have the same question. I, I, th- I think he must mean Tysha. Because yeah, it goes Tysha and then it says my wife, the wife I hardly knew. So yeah. it could, yeah, it could be. It could be a continuation of the list of people he lists, or it could right. be continuing his thoughts on Taisha. Yeah. Yeah, unfortunately the uh as is frequently the case with uh the English language I wonder if I wonder if other other language versions would give this game away. Uh but with the you know, the way it's written with the commas the way they are, it's hard to tell. I I I tend to think he means Taisha. Uh-huh. I don't. It doesn't feel like you know. He certainly wanted to be closer to Sansa, uh, in some ways, in creepy ways. But uh, I, I don't. I don't really feel like she has a place in his heart and brain and lower brain like these others do. Yeah, this is maybe the. If it is talking about her, this would be really one of the first times that he's really thought about her in a way of saying he misses her. Yeah, so. since he left. I mean, I yeah, like. Almost, the wife he hardly knew. So yeah. he hardly knew both of them. But as I thought about it, taking this just to a, another level of analysis, Sansa and Taisha both kind of represent um, ideals, Tyrion? maybe, mm-hmm. that Tyrion, because of his, because of who he is physically, he has been denied. Sansa being that component of marrying into another highborn family and enjoying that continuation of your posterity, you know, in a, in a rich, lavish, just living out the rest of your life with the woman who, you know, is from another great house like yours and you're having kids and setting them up on marriages. You know, that whole thing, the whole Westeros ideal, I guess, in terms of marriage. Yeah. Sansa represents maybe that for him. Sansa Stark, House Stark, a great house. Mm-hmm. Tysha represents that ideal of marrying for love, right? Someone mm-hmm. who he truly loved and who he kind of feels loved him back. We don't know for sure, but they're both kind of things that have been denied to him. So he could be missing both. I don't know. He could be. Yeah. I, I'm I'm riding the Taisha train, but you're right. We don't know. Yep. Anyways, enough of Ooh, that. Ride the Taisha train. That doesn't sound good based on what Son. we know what happened to her. 
Too soon, buddy. That's, Too soon. Yeah. Sorry, everyone. That's not what I meant. <laughs> Good God. Uh, you mentioned get... Jamie in, in that sentence, too. Yeah. Um, but in the same chapter, earlier, I think it's earlier in the chapter, he also calls him wholly insufficient as a brother. It's insufficient, yeah. <laughs> like, this is, like, Tyrion is a conflicted dude. He really is. Yep. I mean, he misses him. He's totally insufficient as a brother. Hate him, love him. Blah. It's not something he can let go. Tyr- Jamie, yeah. despite lying to him and everything, was the only person in his family who he felt treated him like a human being. And Except his uncle. Let that go. Yeah. yeah, maybe Kevin a little bit. But... Oh, I meant the other one. Um, oh, um, the, Jerry. When he was young. Yeah, yeah. Darian. Yeah. Yep. Uh, another th- interesting thing that I noticed about Tyrion, and I don't know that there's an explanation to this, he's running under all these different identities, right? We've got you know, yeah. Hugo Hill and everything. Yeah, in A Dance with Dragons, which is a flush with different POV names, it always stays Tyrion. Do you notice that? Victorian yeah. gets all sorts of names. Quentin gets all sorts of names. Theon gets all sorts of names. Tyrion remains Tyrion. I don't think I don't know if there's any analysis to that. I just noticed it this time around and thought it was interesting. You're more into the Sospeak Martin stuff than I am. Has he ever explained, like, how he chooses those names? Uh, like, if there is some sort of mental component or, like... Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Or if he just got bored and wanted to do something different. I don't know. It's a weird thing. I mean, you know, like, with Theon, it's interesting because... It, it's playing on the, well, at least I feel like it's playing on the mental component of, like, he's struggling to get through some things. It tracks his to struggle, really be, yeah, you're right. Right, right, and to, to be the Theon that, that he is. Mm-hmm. With Victorian, it just feels like some loose labels that, you know, this is the job he does. You know, it feels, it's weird. Yeah. Right? I don't know the rhyme or reason with, behind it. With Bear, with Barry, too. feels... Mm-hmm. Yeah, Queen Maker, King Breaker. Yeah. Those are fun. They rhyme. It could be part of a song, but. Yeah. yeah. Anyway. Anyways. I'll have to look, have to look that up later. Yeah. Only and... the Kalasar will just tell us. Do you have anything else, or is that a good segue into the next uh, chapter? Uh, Maybe just one thing. Um, I don't know. It's a bit of a reach, perhaps, but uh, the book Tyrion signs with his own blood, and the white book Jamie signs, maybe like a little bit of a mirror. Oh, like One's that. recording the history of, of their members in the White Book, and the other's recording their member history. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, kind of, uh, I don't know, just a little something-something. Yeah, fun little fact on that. They mention Roderick Stark, the Wandering Wolf, yeah. who, uh, if we trace his lineage, that's Eddard's grandpa on oh, his wow. mother's side. That was his mother's mm-hmm. dad. So Interesting. Doesn't I don't think it means anything, but... Just hmm. fun to see where those worlds collide a little bit. Yeah, very. You wonder what he did to get there. Yeah. Or do we know that story? I don't know if we know that story. We know he wandered. He yes. Was the wandering wolf. Very descriptive. Um, Alliteration and such. I want to ask you something. Uh oh. Is it who I see on my walk of atonement? <laughs> it's not <laughs> nearly that heavy, but. <laughs> uh, what's a butt boy? Is it what I think it is? I assume it's what you think it is. They it's talk about how these guys have butt boys, 
a child or a young adult that they rape, I assume. Yeah. That is purely a sexual object. Yeah. For That's horrible. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's uh it's awful. I mean the 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 casual way they talk about it is you just your butt boy. Uh, yeah. Oh. It's exasperating. Yeah. Yep. But you know okay. this is the fantasy world we live in. There's these books are filled with exasperating things that uh, somebody was talking to me it was uh, my brother-in-law he, uh on father's day he was just talking about the star wars movies and like how excited he is for the the dan and dave versions mm. uh, the, those movies that, that are coming and i'm just so far removed from that space i'm just like oh, i'm terrified of those movies i don't i'm, I'm really worried about what they're gonna do and mm-hmm. Um, you know that maybe that's too strong. I don't. You know, we always have like like you're always preaching. Like we always have the original films. It's not like it's going to destroy those. It's just you know we've talked also about the oversaturation and that kind of thing, and just too much Star Wars. And these are completely unrelated to the original storyline. Are they going to be any good? What are they doing? Yeah. And I just I just um, I talked about you know like they're like he's like why don't you like them? I'm like well you know I don't watch the series anymore. And he's like, yeah, but there's, you know, it's it's really quality. I'm like, I don't know, man. I'm not watching yeah. it, but the things I hear are like a lot of completely unnecessary violence that doesn't make any sense. Total errors, uh, you know, errors uh, in in timeline, errors in, you know, traveling to certain places when you couldn't get there. All these kind of sorts of things that, that don't make, that don't add up. And I don't know, is it is it really good writing? Like, is that what we're going to deal with with star wars in these movies and and then i was like but you know what it's not fair because george is full of senseless violence too and he does things with time you know like i don't know maybe i'm too hard on him george has a lot of senseless violence too and things like butt boy that he just kind of sweeps under the rug with you know no sort of compassion and i'm not saying that's bad it's just it's just you know what it is i guess well yeah i remember when we talked about and it was in response to a certain scene in the yeah, show. Yeah. I won't I spoil it for the non-show watchers where wow. there is a rape that is shown on screen and everything. And um, uh, we brought up that that gal who Gregor Clegane and his men just raped. And yes. the whole point that George created her was to have her be, be raped to tell by the story Gregor about Clegane. rape. Right, yeah. yeah. And that was, it was just like an offhand story, this terrible story. And then it was over and done. And we talk about, you know, well, technically adva- it advances the plot because it makes Arya hate them even more. Mm-hmm. But even so, did you have to do it that way? <laughs> yeah. So graphically and yeah. Yeah. yeah, uh-huh. it, yeah it was kind of, it was very lucky at the time. I remember when we covered that, that, that we happened to be reading that right when that episode came out. Kind of controversy was going on in the yeah. fandom. Yeah. Right. Exactly. I know that's where a lot of people lost the show. Nope. I'm all done. So. Yeah. I don't know if they came back, but anyway, Dan and Dave do Star Wars. So we'll see. They do, yes. And I, whatever. I will eat. I will eat crow if if they're okay. good. You know what? If the writer at some of point, Troy can pull a rabbit out of his hat with Star Wars. I will eat crow. At some point, I just go. You know what? Eventually, if I don't like them, I'll just go into my little Star Wars cocoon where I hold my <laughs> original films and expanded universe close yeah. in Rogue One. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> and I just yeah. love it for what it is. 
Yeah, I still haven't watched The Last Jedi more than more than twice when I saw that to cover it, you know, for our episode. Still haven't seen yeah. it again. Did you end up seeing Solo? Did we talk about this? I haven't seen it yet. I really want to. Yeah. It's just life has been life has been life. I gotta get out and see it again. Don't know when it'll happen, but Yeah. Okay. Uh wow, right. that was a diversion. There wasn't much to talk about in this chapter, so why don't we go on to some other things? Kingbreaker? <laughs> Kingbreaker. To the B and double I I S T A N nine penny kings to defeat at the try to dance. Sell me is tripping because he's out living three kings and maybe more. And that white cloak makes it easy to see, but it can also make it hard to breathe. Sell me the boldest thing. Have you finally found? Have you finally found your queen? Barris and Sully meets with Skahas the Shave Pate once again, finalizing their plans for the night, a big night. The night they intend to topple the rule of King Hisdar Zolorak. The Shave Pate mansplains to Barry what is going on. Yunkai and Hisdar are in league with one another. The threat was is just to give Hisdar an excuse to kill the dragons before a peace is reached. The Shave Pate insists, of course, that there will be no peace, that they should just attack at first light, seize the element of surprise. But Barry's honor gets in the way, and he won't allow it. The Shave Pate forced to agree to the old man's decree. So, what is this plan of insurrection? It's pretty simple. Barry's going to waltz into the room. Not literally, that would be hilarious. And he's going to tell his Dar that they're seizing him, and that they needn't come to blood. Simple, right? Yeah, except Mega Pit Fighter Kraz protects him. Barry's not concerned, though. Pit Fighters are not Kingsguard. What are the hostages? Jogo, Hero, and Dario. Barry considers a rescue mission, kind of like what he did for Ares uh, way back at Duskendale. But he's dissuaded by Skahas. According to the Shave Pate, it wouldn't actually be the worst thing if these hostages were killed. It might inflame Danny and remove Dario from the equation. He's kind of a wild card. Plus, they still have the cupbearer hostages to, you know, execute in response. This grates on Barristan, though. He reluctantly concedes to leaving Jogo Hero and Dario to the fates, so long as Skahas agrees to leave the cupbearer hostages alone. As the day progresses, the coming actions weigh heavily on the bold. Though he feels no honor in what is about to transpire, though he feels he must act, his gut tells him that Hisdar is behind all this. He makes the rounds, trains with his knights, thinking of knighting a few of them right then and there, but resists the urge to avoid these boys being knighted by a soiled knight should the knight's festivities prove unsuccessful and Barry is killed or imprisoned as a traitor. Next, we get a deep look into Barry's memory and regrets. He could have stopped the whole rebellion. Talk about, you know, what could have happened with Ned's execution. Barry thinks he could have stopped the whole rebellion by unhorsing Rhaegar and naming his own queen of love and beauty, Ashara Dane. Remarkably similar eyes to Daenerys, Ashara had fallen for a Stark attorney and fallen from a tower shortly after, her daughter being stillborn and her grief supposedly too great. She had died never knowing how Barristan felt. Such is the life of a Kingsguard unless you were Dornish. He bathes, he dresses, he armors himself, and he waits for the hour of the wolf before descending the pyramid to Hisdar's quarters. The brazen beasts at the door let him in after he mutters, Grolio. And Steelskin, the pit fighter at the door, lets him in as well. Hisdar emerges, along with a naked, half-naked woman concealed by the drapes. Are you the harpy? Barry poses. Was the poison your work? Hisdar is a mumbling, panicky mess. He's not able to answer Barristan's thrusts Embarrassed and thrusts more questions at him. He blames the Dornish and insists on his own innocence. 
He thought that she would like the locusts. Hot and sweet at once. It's great. He loves Daenerys. He only ordered to have Drogon killed because he was burning men, killing them alive. Eating them alive. The harpy is not my friend. One more time from Barry. Are you the harpy? Hisdar finds his strength and dismisses Barristan, acting kingly, telling him to leave the city. Barry pulls his blade, and Hizzy yells for Karaz. The pit fighter emerges, young, strong, unarmored though, and with a big auroch in his hand. They dance. He is fast and strong and angry, but he has no idea how to fight a man in armor. Barristan is patient, waiting for his chances and inflicting small wounds where he can. He waits for mistakes from Kraz, parrying all the cuts at his own head, letting his armor handle those at his body. When Kraz's Arak gets caught in the curtains, that is all the opening the bold needs, slicing his belly. The Arak comes free, Barristan deflects it, then finishes with a thrust to the beating and vibrant heart of Kraz. Barry then saw, claims a sobbing and emotional Hisdar to escort him to the cells, insisting that he will come to no harm so long as nothing is proven against him. But before they can get there, they're interrupted. Come look outside. The dragons have been loosed. And that's the end of that chapter. So! <laughs> Barry gets a little training session in. And uh, we're reminded, I guess... I mean, like, maybe if you just take one thing from this chapter, it's like armor's really important. This, Yeah. Uh, you think Barristan would have been beaten without it? Yeah. He relies on it, is the yeah. thing. Which he is part of his training. Strategy. Yeah. Yeah, right. it's it's part of his strategy is to use the armor. You take a couple shots because you can. Mm-hmm. It's interesting, though. I mean, it, it's, um, it's different than some of the other fights that we've seen. When Bronn fights Vardis Egan, mm-hmm. uh, and the Mountain fights Oberyn, the the armored side gets tired, right? Yeah. And fatigued, and they end up, you know... Yeah, the mountain does end up winning that fight, I suppose. But, you know, he was beaten. Um, That's and, a good point and, to make. He was beaten. Yeah. And and Vardis, you know, was beaten. Mm-hmm. And in this, you know, the armored guy wins. Um, you know, I, I think it's... I don't know. I, 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 I We were talking about the battle in the last chapter... None of these guys are armored. I don't know whether it's because the Yunkai are too cheap or what, but like, feels like if anybody took care of their troops, they'd walk over the other armies in this battle, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, and, and what we find in like those points that you made is that it's not enough to be armored; it's it's to know how it's to, to know it. how good yeah. you are and how to use it. I think I I, I don't have examples of how Barristan used to fight in his younger days. But I'm wondering if he's adapted with age yeah. to rely on that armor more now that he's, you know, now that he's older and he knows he doesn't have as much endurance. He can't move as fast as he used to. So he finds ways to conserve his energy where he can, which might have been like maybe Vardis Egan's uh, downfall. He was going 110% and Ron yes. was easily able to wear him out. Whereas Barristan seems very calm during this whole fight. Very, yeah. And waits for his chances, uses the armor where he can. Very smart. But yeah, you have to wonder if they would just if they just dress these guys up to your point. Could that yeah. even things up a little bit? 
I mean, I guess in the last Tyrion chapter, we did get them, you know, going through the armor pile. You know, maybe some of those sellsword companies, that's why they're so valued. Maybe they have that armor. Maybe. some of these yeah. other fodder don't, but... Yeah. Um, yeah, I think maybe the difference is, is between free sellsword companies and, and kind of the slave armies. Yeah. Because slaves right. are just slaves. You buy new ones. Yeah. But, but whereas, like, the Windblown or the Second Sons rely on recruitment and... You obviously want to keep guys alive where you can. So, so uh, well, we got some got some uh, interesting parallels between Barry and Ned in this chapter. Uh huh. In terms of the children, the children. Uh, there's the honor component. Yeah. You know, that the Barrison refuses to do some of these things that the Shavehate wants out of honor. We saw the same thing with Ned and Robert in King's Landing. Um, there's also a line in there about. You kill men for the wrongs they've done, not for the wrongs they may do someday. Um, Barrison little says minority that report there. Yeah. Yes, minority report exactly. Uh, <laughs> but also, but also, Ned. I, I don't know if he said something exactly similar, but that was his attitude mm-hmm. about the children. Like, I don't care. Yep. You know, they're children. You don't know that they're going to become dragons or that they're going to come back for their legacy. Or you know, like you don't know these things. You you can't assume that and just murder them. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's there there are theories out there that. Um, you know, that George will write this series and the whole point will be, you know, the theme that's explored in lots of places. The time is a wheel, right? Um, you know, here we see Barry making maybe the same mistakes Ned is making. Um, maybe not. Um, you know, but it's definitely a theme, I think, with, with George. Just kind of seeing these people make the same mistakes. Yeah, the honorable ones are the ones that get bitten. Yeah. Eddard's dead. We, we're going to have Quentin next chapter. Um, spoiler alert, things don't go well for him. You know, things are going all right yet, for Barristan. I don't know why that would change. They haven't yet gone right for him, so. Right. I don't know why yeah. they'd start now. Uh-huh. Yeah. George definitely has a heavy hand when it comes to how far honor gets you in this game. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> yeah. We will rue your old man's arm honor before this game is done, I think. That's what Skehas says. Yes. Uh, um, let's see here. Hisdar? What a pussy. <laughs> also, he totally did it. You down? You down with uh, I mean, the Hisdar? I just... You know, like maybe not, but he, it, it just the way he's acting, he seems guilty, mm-hmm. and you know maybe he's just afraid, you know, I'm a coward or something. But yeah, I think he did it. I think he did all of it. He's definitely got a guilty conscience. If he didn't do it, I I th- I, I think he's in charge of the harpies. Yes, you for know? sure that. Maybe not the poisoning. Like I could be convinced that's you know somebody else, but. It doesn't matter. He's guilty. He's a tool, and he played well. He convinced Danny enough, um, you know, and he played well, and he's he's gotten to where he's gotten. And you know, had Barry not stepped in, you know, and, and done this scheming, which is you know very unnatural to him, right? It took somebody, mm-hmm. it took somebody stepping way outside his wheelhouse to to undo this, right? Because if he didn't do it now, and then he did kill the dragons or something. And, you know, 
Yunkai did store. I don't know. I, so many things could happen, I guess. But, like, it's very possible this power grab would have worked for him long term. Right? Yep. Yeah. So. Absolutely. And Marine would have gone back to its merry slavery ways. Yeah, he's already making the mistake, right? Yep. He calls the woman that's with him a bed slave. Mm-hmm. No, it's I mean, free, I mean uh, uh, free woman, uh, of course. Free, just, she's yeah. trained to be really good at stuff. I didn't, I didn't even want her. She just like showed up and was like, yeah, yeah. What a tool. Um, back to the hostages because I have a question. Sure. Uh, apparently, I've had trouble focusing on these chapters as I've made a few errors already. Well, just one big one. But so Ske has. You mentioned this. He still wants the Miranese children hostages to be killed if yeah. Young Kai won't give back their hostages. Is that right? That's what he's implying. I don't know what the fuck difference that makes to the Yunkai, though. Yeah. Is that what okay. you're asking? That's I, I wrote the same That's question That's exactly down. what I'm asking. I mean, it might it might hinge on the fact that earlier in the chapter, you know, Skahaz is indicating that the Yunkai and the Marinese are one and the same in this. Yeah, and, I was wondering if the, he... Yeah. yeah. That he's implying that, that it will hurt... It will hurt his dar, and therefore it will hurt the Yunkai, but I... But but Yunkai, they could never pretend to care that those cupbearers were hurt. Oh yeah, Some... they, because then that would admit that they're in league with them. So like so, I don't. I didn't make any sense to me either. Yeah, that's the solution I arrived at too, or the conclusion was that Skehas believes that somehow the Miranese upper class is is in league with Yunkai, going back to the Hisdar thing. Right. Um, uh, well, this is just silly. Two recently, we had announced that D and D are um, creating Game of Thrones spinoffs, right? Or not D O D, just HBO in general. Yeah, um, we got Game of Thrones spinoffs, and I found two potential spinoffs that I would like to see, Ooh. whether on screen or in book form, from this chapter. First of all, I would love to see Barristan's infiltration of duskendale oh yeah that just sounds freaking awesome that'd be fun and it could be it could be like a 24 you know like the tv series 24 because it happens in like less than a day absolutely they could do it like time by time it could be like a a sundial moving or something it could totally just be like a a little mini series or yeah totally (laughs) counting down the sundial dunk 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 Uh, love to see that. I even love the conflict that they could bring into it with Barristan rescuing a terrible guy and everything. I think that could be really fascinating mm-hmm. and compelling besides the obvious action component. The other one I would like to see, The Adventures of Tumco Lowe <laughs> and yes. Larock the Lash and the Red Lamb. I would yeah. love to see what happens to these cool little knights that Barristan's raising up and training. Well, just, just, just hold your horses on that sequel because hopefully we'll get that story in the Winds of Winter. I'd love to. They're awesome. Don't, don't start presuming these books aren't coming, Matt. I need to hold on to this. <laughs> and Tumco, if Tumco doesn't play a central part in the upcoming SO stuff, I'm out of here. Yeah, I'm throwing away my podcasting mic. <laughs> Oh, we are through. <laughs> yeah, yeah. If no. My boy, Strong Bellwas isn't the comedic component uh, in that storyline. 
having you know won his hard-fought battle with um i don't know what it would be called <laughs> poisoning Poison? <laughs> <Yes>. intestines <laughs> yeah I, you know then i don't know i need yeah. i need i need more strong bellwoss george feed him to me please steady diet to him please but it did get me thinking this stuff about Tum Kolo and Larock the Lash and everything. You know, there's that one line where it says, it's be- Barristan tells all his knights in training, it's better to die with honor than to live without it. And it says the boys looked at him strangely. Yeah. It's, a you know, coming from the culture that they came from. It's just a completely foreign idea, this idea of honor. And it got me thinking about... Barristan, potentially the legacy that Barristan is establishing on the other side of the world. You know, if this Tumco and Larock and some of these others go on to become knights or whatever eventually, and maybe they start training other people, you know, what what kind of legacy is Barristan going to have? And that's that's kind of cool and, and kind of redemptive in a way with all, all the guilt that he feels. It could be cool, man. Could it be could really be very cool. cool. Or are they like, are they looking at this guy and they're like, screw this. I was going to be a pit fighter. Now I'm doing this weird thing because I guess I'm talented. Thanks for the sword skills. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, Honor, honor, yada, yada, yada. (laughs) Like, (laughs) kind of like Arya with the faceless men. Yeah, 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 yeah. I'm nobody. Yeah, 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 that's fine. No one, no one, no one, no one. one. Yep. Can I I, get a job now? Teach me how to use that uh, cool little knife trick that you do. Fuck you, I'm not chewing my lip. Just no one. <laughs> it could be that as well. Uh, All right. No, I hope not, though. I'm, I didn't mean to, to be, uh, you know, so dismissive of it. I, I hope so, too. I hope they're taking it to heart. I, I love the idea. I, I've always loved this idea of... It's why, it's why I love zombie stories, I think, or, mm-hmm. um, you know, uh, apocalyptic stories. I love the idea of people having to, like, start from scratch, and, build, mm. and like build something slowly, like a slow build mm-hmm. with all of the, I think it's one of the reasons I love, uh, I love uh, Name of the Wind 2 is, is that the main character, spoilers, the main character is starting from, from nothing, right? And having to like carve his place out. It's why, it's why I love the book, uh, The Day the Tripods Came, because, uh, spoilers, you know, these people carve out a place in the world where the tripods don't have dominion. And they have to, like, build society from that. Um, and you don't even get that story in the first book. They've just kind of gotten to that place. But I, I love I love the idea of Barristan, like, starting again in this new pl- strange land and building knights from a culture that has no idea what knights are. Right. It's cool. I like that idea. Leaving a stamp. Well, and Scad, you should love where the Star Wars franchise is going. Look, I don't. I don't. I. Ray is rebuilding what it means to use the force. I don't hate any of that. I don't. I. I don't. I. I've. I've come down hard on on Star Wars for a few things. Uh, in general, I love what Kathleen Kennedy has done. Um, mm-hmm. you know, there's been a lot out there recently about like the Star Wars fandom and how terrible they are. I'm mm-hmm. not one of those dudes. I'm not. Definitely I'm not, not bitter. I'm not angry. You are not at all. I'm, I'm not, you know, I'm not like you're ruining my Star Wars. Nothing like well, that. Well, you're not disparaging specific people like oh, for the sure Star Wars that. fandom is talking and, about. Yeah, exactly. And I'm not, I love Kathleen Kennedy. I think she's awesome. I, I love what she's done specifically on the novelization side. Um, you know, like I'm all in on it. Um, I'm worried a little bit about some of the people they've chosen to, to lead, but, you know, who am I to say, right? Like, um, 
but like the yeah the, like where they take the force and what ray might do and uh you know will luke show up as you know like as a force ghost and try to still like guide her or has he made his choice still that like he thinks that it should end could be int- i don't know right like i don't hate any of that part um that part's interesting i only worry about the people they've chosen to do it I don't mm-hmm. think they've made a lot of bad choices with story. I didn't like the tone of the last movie was my biggest my biggest yeah. complaint. You did not like that. Yep. And I didn't love it either. Yeah. All right, fair enough. Um, we this done is the Song of Ice and Fire podcast, not a Star Wars podcast. Oh my goodness, we have you run the gamut tonight, me in. haven't we? You we've suckered done... me in with that cheap shot, Matt. We've done, uh, let's see, we've done high school comedies yeah we dropped a bit Uh, of shakespeare in there we got shakespeare we've got oh we went heavy into butt boys (laughs) (laughs) and all the senseless violence and our own Um, history of people that we slighted yep and and now what we're doing is worst of all we're just recapping what we talked about in the episode which is infinitely worse (laughs) (laughs) all right okay we're Uh, delirious let's move on should we attempt to course correct and go to the dragon tamer? Let's do it. I don't have much else for Barry, I don't think. Okay, I don't either. If life's an adventure where the light surely stains Of dreams that are tempered and not wine but water drink But still I'll run away to you wonder what you'll think Could plain old Quentin fire and blood all right, the dragon tamer. Uh, the night is long and short on sleep, as Quentin Martell stirs restlessly in bed, anxiously anticipating the events that are about to hunt, unfold. In his heart, he wants nothing more than to be home, to marry Gwyneth Ironwood, to ride in tourneys, to hawk, hunt, read, enjoy the company of his friends and family. But this is the quest laid before him. This is his grand adventure. But men die on grand adventures, the ever-present counterpoint, Jairus replies. Despite Drink's continued and, frankly, well-reasoned objections to their plan, Quentin at least feigns confidence in his ability to prove his worthiness to Daenerys by stealing a dragon, or maybe two, and finding her on Dragonback. A steady rain begins to fall as the hour of the wolf arrives, and it's time to begin. Dressing in the stolen masked uniforms of brazen beasts and reminding each other of the knight's code word for communicating with other brazen beasts, the code word is dog, creative, Quentin, Jarrus, and Archie Ironwood make their way down the back stairs to a side entrance opening on an alley, easily convincing the guards posted there that they had arrived early to relieve them. The three Dornishmen open the gate, where six of the tattered princes windblown await them, including Pretty Maris and Cago Corpse Killer. The tattered prince is close by, they say, waiting with 50 additional men to see them all safely away once Quentin emerges with his stolen dragon. The six have also brought a large butcher's wagon loaded for now with empty chains and dead animals, freshly slaughtered. The wagon they hope will be large enough to uh, hold a dragon when they come back out. Together, the group clandestinely makes its way down through the Great Pyramid to the Dragon Pit. Arriving at the dented, splitting doors from the inside as if something had been trying to get out, Quentin and co. encounter four brazen beasts at guard, just as they had expected. 
Oh boy, they give the the code word dog, and the four's reaction to this challenge word was not what they expected. They had not gotten the same word that Quentin was using, uh, and Quentin's men quickly, albeit loudly, had to dispatch of the four guards. It killed them. Uh, Opening the door to the pit, Quentin edges slowly forward into the hot darkness. There, Rhaegal greets him uh, and is satiated by one of the dead sheep thrown into the pit by Archie. The idea is that they will feed the dragons, get them feeling nice and sleepy and, you know, a little bit of meat sweats, a little bit of needing a little nap, just like Matt after going to Brazilian restaurants. Yeah. (laughs) Then they're going to chain one of them up, take them out while they're all tired. Where's the other dragon? Where's Viserion? He emerges slowly from a dragon-made cave near the ceiling of the enclosure, taking wing from within and breathing fire. All of Quentin's plans had fled his head, is the direct quote from the book. And Jairus makes one more desperate attempt to convince Quint to turn back, citing the wild, uncontrollable nature of the dragons. Viserion finally lands at the pit entrance between Quentin and the door. Fumbling for the whip at his belt, Quentin summons the courage to attempt to cow the dragon. Viserion, however, is having none of it and begins to move toward the door. Startled, one of the windblown fires his crossbow at the beast. Big mistake! And he is roasted in return. The windblown begin to pull back to retreat, but Quentin, bless his sweet soul, is going to see this through. Cracking his whip, he cries, Viserion, down! Even going so far as to lay a lash across the dragon's face. Uh, Let's finish off reading here. I've actually got my book here because I left my iPad in the car. Yes, I cracked open an actual book. How awful. I know. And then a hot... Yeah. And then a hot wind buffeted him, and he heard the sound of leathern wings, and the air was full of ash and cinders, and a monstrous roar went echoing off the scorched and blackened bricks, and he could hear his friends shouting wildly. Jairus was calling out his name over and over, and the big man was bellowing, Behind you! Behind you! Behind you! Quinton turned and threw his left arm across his face to shield his eyes from the furnace wind. Rhaegal, he reminded himself, the green one is Rhaegal. When he raised his whip, he saw that the lash was burning, his hand as well, all of him, all of him was burning. Oh, he thought. Then he began to scream. Whoops. That did not go well, Scad. No. No, that, that, uh, that O is just, uh, it's a killer. George is so good. Just... Because because that one word just underscores how out of depth and how little he understands about how out of depth mm-hmm. Quentin really is. It's a realization. This whole trip has been a realization for him. One thing after another that's just not what he expected, not what he wanted, something he's not ready for, and this is just one more. Oh. Oh, that's how this is. Mm-hmm. Oh, oh. Right? Yeah, it's, and it's... It's amazing. 
I would maybe lightly contend that he did know, but he just felt that he felt he had to go on, right? Or maybe he was deluding himself a little bit, right? Like, just because you've got a grand plan doesn't mean it's a good plan. You know, just because you're as bold as Barristan doesn't mean you'll walk out of Duskendale alive, right? Maybe that's what he's lying to himself about, or he doesn't realize. Yeah, I mean, I didn't even mean to stress that he's lying to himself. Just that... Just that... Not even that he's unaware of the stakes. Just that how little control he has, maybe... Uh-huh. Um, yeah. How quickly, sure. how quickly it can all change and happen. That's true. Um, totally. I, I don't, I, again, I can't even, that's, that's what I mean about how good he is. There's so much I feel in reading that word. Oh, mm-hmm. mm-hmm. that I can't, I can't even put it in words, but it's just a, a, a boy that is just, he, he's come to the realization that his, his life is over just like that. Right. He's known it. He's known it all chapter. He's like, what would you have me do? I have to try. He knows, he, he knows, I, don't, I didn't mean to imply that he doesn't know the writings on the wall here, but it's just this, yeah, I can't, I can't even do it any other than just saying what George wrote. Oh. Oh. Our, uh, our friend Emmett, poor Quentin, so named yeah. because he loves the character Quentin. Um, yeah. On his website, poorquentin.com, I believe it is, he's got a whole seven-part essay devoted to why the story of Quentin is important. It's quite fascinating if you've got the time yeah, I need and you'd to like read to it read again. It. Um, it's been a long time. I I was reading through it and I this was so poignant. I just had to copy and paste it into my notes and I give it credit to him. I'm attributing it to him, but I'll read this. It's it you know, so he talks about Quentin's story matters because it it's George recon or deconstructing the the idea of the hero's journey, right? Yeah. That everything mm-hmm. goes well because everything falls into place because you're the hero. So everything gets to work out for you. Mm-hmm. And this is what poor Quint says. How does it feel to realize in the middle of a hero's journey that you're not actually enchanted? If you're the mm-hmm. prince and turn into a frog and you find the beautiful princess, she's supposed to kiss you and t- turn you back into yourself and make everything better, including all you've lost and done along the way. Quint's story is about what happens if she doesn't, and if it never, ever gets better. Isn't that awesome? Yeah. And and though I would argue that it's about, mm, well, you could call it stubbornness, or you'd call it being valiant. I don't know, both maybe. Mm-hmm. But the inability or unwillingness to admit that it won't get better. Yeah. There are so many times where the writing is on the wall for him mm-hmm. that he should realize like, oh yeah, I'm way out of my depth here. This nothing's going to this isn't going to go the way I think. This is not going to go the way that you think. Yeah. Uh, it's a little skywalk for you. Um so uh, you know, th- there there's there's a, a clear example at the very top of this chapter where he hovers his hand over a candle. Right. That should tell you, like, um, I don't know. There are people that say, like, you know, Targaryens aren't immune to fire damage or whatever. But, like, that's meant to show, like, it shows the reader something. And he's doing it to show himself something. And it doesn't 
have I don't think he's able to accomplish what he's hoping to accomplish, but it doesn't stop him. And it doesn't stop him either because he's unwilling or unable to notice it for what it is. The yeah. truth that he's not mm-hmm. going to succeed at this. Yeah, and that's and and George gives Jerris the part of of you know in this Gollum versus Smeagol conversation almost it felt like uh, he's the counterpoint to to Quentin trying to explain that to him the whole time and I I did I kind of pictured Gollum and Smeagol going back and forth with uh, Quentin and Jairus but you're right it's like everything he's been through right the losing his friends um, the ones who had died the expectations that his dad has placed upon him, how far they've come already failing to get Danny, you know, when, when she was still around, it's gotten him mentally to a point where this is the only choice he can even consider. Even though we know it's not his only choice. Jairus Mm -hmm. knows it's not his only choice. Quentin's at that point in his mind where it's the only thing he can do and he has to do it. And it's like, he's trying to convince himself, this is my adventure. You know, I will be okay because it always ends up. Okay. Jairus is like, but it nope, never, it's not. but it never ends up. Okay. It's not like none be of okay. the, this trip has never worked out for him. Yep. Like he's unwilling or unable mm-hmm. to note the patterns in his life that indicate that this won't go the way he thinks. Yep. And it's sad. I mean, I, I I don't mean to take the credit away from him because he's clearly doing it for a reason. It's the job he was given. He's being a dutiful son. He's trying to play the hero, even though, you know, he it's not really natural to him. Those are all positive things to say about someone. But at some point, I don't know, at some point your life is worth more than throwing it away. Absolutely. And so you, you'd hope he'd make that choice. Mm-hmm. And maybe that's what the O is. Oh, I, you know, I sh- I shouldn't have done this. Yep. I don't know. I, it's so sad. much. So much. A part of you just wants to shake him. A part of you just wants to hug him. It's, yeah. 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 And uh, a part of Garrus. Uh, I say Garrus. You say Jarrus. That's interesting. A part of Garrus uh, just wanted to get his buddy laid first. What did right? he call the the places where the prostitutes hang out? Snuggeries. Snuggeries. Yeah. <laughs> I love that word. <laughs> yeah. Just go my find myself a little snuggery. Although a snuggery I mean, just sounds like a place I'd just like to go hang out and be like, leave me alone. I want to read in my snuggery. Yeah. <laughs> sounds wonderful. I want to play guitar in my snuggery. Yeah. He does. Like, Why don't you if, just go get yourself laid? Just chill out, buddy. Well, look. If you're certain your friend is dying. And you know your friend is a virgin. It's not the worst thing that you could do. It's kind of part of the human experience. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. Toads. Yeah. Yeah. I'm with you. What else you got? Well, not a lot of... Not a lot with some depth. I mean, I guess there's a, real, a lot of problems with the plan to make this happen. Like, it, the plan sounds good, you know, from, from the start. Um, but there's a lot of problems. Uh, the first problem being that Quentin is not their master. So, you know, any assumption that like, he's going to be able to use a whip the same way and cow them the same way Danny did is 
probably a bit of a pipe dream. Again, mm-hmm. I'm not saying he shouldn't try necessarily. If you're going to do this, you got to try something. But it's, you know, flaw in the plan. I think feed them and chain them is not a bad plan. They've noted that they're a bit sluggish after eating. But they don't actually execute that part of the plan. They, they like, try. <laughs> they, well, kind of. Like, put, wheel the cart in first. The whole cart. Right? Set it on fire for them. Make back them out smell and let the meat. Them like, back out and let them eat. Walk away. Right? Like, why is Quentin doddering about looking for them? Just put the fucking cart in there. Right? Because he has blood <laughs> of the dragon, Scad. Because know, he has blood it, of the dragon. A, look, I Jeez. get it. It's just a... I, I, I think it's a flaw in the plan. Or a mis-execution <laughs> of the plan. It is. It is. They yeah. note in there that, that they see Maris and think maybe, oh, it's Danny, although I think that's bullshit. Seems like they would be able to smell and smell a difference, mm-hmm. but whatever. Uh, that's maybe a mistake. Whoever gave these idiots a crossbow, like, come on. Like, what are you, you going to do with the crossbow? What are you going to do with that? Put it away. You don't well, that's the problem that. is, is Quentin was ceding so much control over everything, and he was forced yes. to do it, or he felt he was forced to do it. Yeah. Like... The windblown aren't going to do him any favors or follow him blindly. Yep. Yep. Uh, You know, just like once Viserion had gone off and and killed the guy with the crossbow, let him eat. That guy's dead. Let him eat. Feed him more. Right? Yeah. Don't try to save the corpse with your, you know. Continue with the plan. Yeah. You know, then the last... Problem is he completely forgot about the second dragon, which sucks. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, just a lot of things kind of went wrong. That Like, maybe that plan would have been okay if they had executed it, you know, the way they intended. Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, I don't know. Didn't go well. Um, shed a tear for Q. He's a good man. Out of his depth. He kind of let fear of failure and scope creep take his life right absolutely i mean i know we would have felt bad about it but if he came home and said yeah danny wouldn't have me you know his his assignment i think maybe we should revisit it but i think his assignment was to to get danny not to steal a dragon yep fire and blood well, that's that's the part you could quibble with. If, if the goal was fire and blood, then he could still accomplish that by a dragon. But well, he he goes on to the mission thinking he needs to marry Danny. Right. I think part of that is her Targaryen lineage, and I think also it is because she has the dragons, which yeah. are a force multiplier of great degrees. So, but but the plan was made mm-hmm. between the plan makers, Viserys would marry Ariane mm-hmm. before there was anything about dragons. Yeah. And that's the, why he, the, yeah, it is like, a, it is a very much a marriage thing. Right. This is, it's scope creep. It's bad. Princess and the frog. Yeah. He's, well, yeah, he's, he feels he can't go back to his dad without empty handed. Like you said, he's got to go yeah. back with something. Yeah. And, and he says that, you know, one of the reasons he wants to find the dragon is so he can go find Danny and show her. Yeah. And show her. Yeah, he says, why else would Daenerys have shown me the dragons? She wants me to prove myself to her. My response to that is, no, she wanted you to prove yourself before, and yeah. you didn't. Right. That ship has sailed, buddy. Sorry. She was not inter- And that's part of the other tragedy to it is she's like, 
she already did that, bud. Yeah. Your 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 inter job interview has happened already. Yeah, She's totally. thrown out your resume. But so just maybe one one little quick thing here, just reading. One moment it felt like a game, the next like some nightmare. Hmm. Like a bad dream where he found himself opening a dark door, knowing that horror and death waited on the other side, yet somehow powerless to stop himself. That's like his whole journey, right? Yeah, the only up. choice he can contemplate. Right, his whole that's his whole journey, his whole arc, summed yep. up in like a couple sentences. Mm-hmm. And maybe it didn't start that way. Maybe not. But as soon as those Corsairs killed his friends, yeah, I think that started him on that path for yeah. sure. All right, should uh, we move on to John? You know, if only Quentin and Barristan had coordinated. If only they would have talked about this. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, again, similarly, I think what Bowen saw was not somebody he could be coordinating with, you know? What who saw? I think what Barristan saw. Oh, okay, you said Bowen, I think. Oh. (laughs) Thinking about John already. I'm I'm moving on. What Barristan (laughs) saw was, I do have my summary pulled up, uh, but what Barrison saw was not somebody that he could be coordinating with, not somebody that he could trust with, with this. That... Yeah, and frankly, he would have never let Quentin take a dragon. Right. So True. Yeah. That, that Quentin wasn't a gamer, right? And mm-hmm. he isn't. As much as he wants to be, he isn't. And that doesn't make him a bad person or weak or anything, but he's he's not a gamer. It's just not his thing. Yeah. And it, dang it, Doran. Yeah. Know your fucking kids. Just know your kids. Yeah. Jeez, buddy. Come on. Yeah. Anyways. All right, John. Yeah. On that <laughs> note. So many notes we get on our on our Quentin opinions. Uh, all right, so I feel like this is a pretty long summary. Enjoy it, guys. I hope Here you do. we go. Sit back. Mm-hmm. Where well, we're going up north where the winter's cold And the icicles bloom like the bluest rose We haven't met his mom, but we love his wolf He's John Snow John is again asking for support in helping wildlings While all those around him ask him to pick a new tune This time it's the wildlings, hard home, wildlings at Hardholm Starving by the thousands, many women and children and this time it's Solis to insist that he should let them die as they have no food for them and they can't actually help in the coming war. John expresses his thanks for the support. He will lead the ranging to rescue them himself. Solis is finally agreeable as she's certain he will perish on the journey and they'll have a more amenable commander of the Night's Watch going forward. Savage. Solis wants to talk about other things. She wants to talk about Garrick Kingsblood, the rightful king of the wildlings, and the weddings of wildling women to her southern knights. John wishes them happiness in their marriages until those marriages include Val. And at that he bristles, indicating that wildling women usually follow certain customs involving the man stealing the woman, that it proves courage in their culture. Solis, of course, raises her nose at this and commands John to send Val so she can teach him the ways of being a good wife. So that happened. John departs her quarters alone, ghosts now being sequestered in John's quarters because Borok's Borok's boar is still rooting around Castle Black. But Melisandre stops him as he leaves. She warns him, too, that this ranging for the wildlings is folly, that she has seen in her fires that his ships are all lost. John tells her he has lost patience with her flawed visions. 
but Mel promises that all his questions will be answered and to look to the skies. Okay, weird. John makes his way to his quarters where he finds a veritable menagerie of mad animals. Both Ghost and Mormont's Raven are spooked. John blames the boar. Anyway, he's assembling his council yet again to talk about the next steps for this ranging. Certainly it will go better this time. It doesn't. The misgivings run deep here. They fight John on any measure at all to give the wildlings responsibilities and jobs. They won't use them to build, they don't trust them to work, they don't want them manning castles, and forget a crew to go save those at Hardaholm. Their advice is for the wildlings to go save their own people. They'll never make it back and there will be fewer mouths to feed. It's kind of like racism at its worst. If the wildlings can be considered a race. I don't know where the line is on it. Anyway, John cannot rely on these men to be his counselors. Before dismissing them, he has Bowen clear the ice cells and move the four prisoners that have been there to quarters where they won't freeze to death. And he leaves the two corpses that he's been waiting to see if they'd, you know, become more than corpses. He leaves, leaves them in the ice cells. Tormund arrives. He's back. And John wants to discuss logistics of the ranging with him. But they're interrupted by Clytus with a letter. A letter with a pink button of wax, but no seal. Addressed bastard. And I'm going to just read it. Because it's a letter that's awesome. Your false king is dead, bastard. He and all his hosts were smashed in seven days of battle. I have his magic sword. Tell his red whore. Your false king's friends are dead. Their heads upon the walls of Winterfell. Come see them, bastard. Your false king lied, and so did you. You told the world you burned the king beyond the wall. Instead, you sent him to Winterfell to steal my bride from me. I will have my bride back. If you want Mance Raider back, come and get him. I have him in a cage for all the north to see proof of your lies. The cage is cold, but I have made him a warm cloak from the skins of the six whores who came with him to Winterfell. I want my bride back. I want the false king's queen. I want his daughter and his red witch. I want his wildling princess. I want his little prince, the wildling babe. And I want my reek. Send them to me, bastard. I will not trouble you or your black crows. Keep them from me, and we'll cut out your bastard's heart and eat it. Ramsay Bolton, trueborn lord of Winterfell. Well, that might change a few things. After dismissing everyone else, John reads the letter aloud to Torment. They debate the letter's veracity, but John believes it. There is truth in there. Specifically, it seems to know about Mance, a secret not many people know. A million things flood John's brain as he considers his next course, but he is resolved. He must leave the boy behind and let the man be born. He talks to Tormund, and they change their plans. They're in the shield hall now to address the men, with John wrestling ghosts back to his quarters as they leave. The men are crowded into the shield hall, crammed in, really. And John tells of those at Hardholm that he had planned to lead the raging to rescue them himself. Because the ships are lost to them, they've got to go on their own. But that plan has changed. Tormund will now lead that ranging to rescue them. And where will you be, Crow? Hiding here in Castle Black with your white dog? No. I ride south. He reads the letter to the shield hall, and it's pandemonium. His plan is to send the Night's Watchmen north with Tormund as leader and guide to rescue the wildlings, and to enlist wildlings to save and avenge more wildlings and kings that the Night's Watch want nothing to do with. You can see how this might rub the Night's Watch the wrong way. All their focus is being put into rescuing wildlings, and the leader is going off to play politics and stuff that they don't belong in. 
John departs, leaving Tormund to get the, the, the din good and drunk with Ale to seal the support. He wants to discuss all this with Selyse to inform her of Stannis' supposed passing and finalize the plans of her men. But he never gets there. Woonwoon is using Sir Patrick's body as a fly swatter and making a terrible, confusing ruckus. Men arrive, and John fears that they will kill Woonwoon in the confusion. He starts to organize the men to de-escalate the situation when he sees a glint of steel. Wick, put that knife. His throat is slashed. Why? For the watch. John disarms him and Wick backs away. John can't get Longclaw free of its scabbard, his fingers clumsy. For the watch. He is stabbed in the belly by a teary Bowen Marsh. Ghost, John whispers as he removes the dagger from his smoking wound. A third dagger stabs him between the shoulder blades, and he falls face first into the snow. He doesn't feel the fourth knife. Only the cold. <gasps> End of chapter. John, we barely knew thee. Actually, we knew you pretty well. So this is, you know, it's been a long time coming. Um, he's been, I don't, I don't know this this chapter reason. You're like every single thing he does is like favoring wildlings over his own Night's Watchmen, um, and you can tell it's almost like everyone around him is just like, "What are you doing?" Right? Yeah, and I sure don't like Bowen Marsh stabbing him. But as I've said before, I understand where Bowen's coming from with his grievances. Yeah. I really do. Yeah. And yeah. I don't know what more John could do. He's tried talking to him now. We used to say, like, John, you need to sit these guys down. I feel like he's done that now. He had that talk with them about, you know, if we don't take these guys in, the white the the others are going to and they will be added to the army that is coming i feel like john's talked to him about it and yeah these guys just aren't getting it no i mean it's um i i mean i i i shudder a bit to compare it to like our current political climate but you know like they're just so far apart from each other on on how they feel about wildlings mm-hmm. in just in general mm-hmm. that like forget the white component they they're so against wildlings in general they don't they can't even hear the argument about the whites they just don't want the wildlings around yeah they yeah. think they're the enemy and they don't want them it's and a deep discrimination yeah, it's clouded every single conversation they have Right. Mm -hmm. And to John's point, he doesn't he's not interested in like, you know, softening the message. I get the way you're feeling. I understand that there's a history here. He doesn't say any of those kinds of things. Mm -hmm. And maybe he shouldn't have to. Right. Like, in you know, a military command. It's like my word goes. Right. I'm the Lord Commander. And so maybe you shouldn't have to. But like we've been saying it for a while, like these are disgruntled people. and He doesn't give them a lot, Mm -hmm. you know. Yeah, and there needs to I think there needs to be a point where he's got to recognize that that like I'm losing these guys. Yeah. This is past the point of them just being disgruntled. Yeah. And but God bless John, he is intent on getting this done even if mm-hmm. it's alone. And I love yeah. that about him. Yeah. But man. 
but his reaction to the pink letter is like like okay you, i think you can argue everything up to sure up to yeah. that point and mm-hmm. be like okay he's obstinate he's not giving any ground he's mm-hmm. difficult to deal with and stubborn mm-hmm. but he's still doing like it could be argued he's doing the right thing right he's, he's saving doing... the realms of men being wildlings because yeah. they're part of that and he's doing he's doing the right thing he's doing what he feels along. is best for the most amount of people in the end and doing mm-hmm. the night's watch job mm-hmm. in his yep. opinion yep his interpretation which i feels correct what he's about to go do has nothing to do with that and he fully admits it right yeah and i you know like it, i mean it'd be akin to well i mean we probably wouldn't murder him but like it'd be akin to trump being like you know what i know i'm your president but i'm going to go i'm i'm going to go do this other thing for 6 6 months and not rule you for a while maybe like golfing oh. hey oh <laughs> matt I, I don't I don't even mean to come down I would I would have used the example of our president regardless of who the president was my opinions of Trump notwithstanding um, like it, it's it's just your leader is going off to do this thing that you're not supposed to be focusing on at all like why I'm glad that you like Haiti why are you going to Haiti for six months right it doesn't like we need to focus on what we're doing right and so like I, I, I maybe they shouldn't have killed him but I get why they're kind of over the edge on this. And this that is, would totally be beyond the, the wildling thing, right? Yeah, it totally is. This is a man who's neglecting his duties now. Yeah, right. Yeah. He is not being a Lord Commander anymore. Right. And John admits that, but where does that leave these guys? Like, dude, we've done what you've said. We haven't liked it, and we've argued with you every step of the way, but we've done it. Yeah. And now you're leaving? Yeah. What the heck, man? Yeah. What do you yeah. think? What do you think sealed the deal for John in in like taking this course of action, leaving the the boy behind and letting the man be born? What what part of the letter do you think did it for him? <sighs> Let me get back to the letter here. Um, well, first of all, I think that John was teetering on the edge of a knife. Isn't that the word that the phrasing that Tolkien uses? Um, yes, I think so. Or at least Peter Jackson. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Uh, over this whole thing anyways he's so close at just a moment drop of a hat to go in and trying to save Arya. um yeah but i hadn't thought about what was the tipping point well i think i think you i think you you nailed it without wanting to uh, the line in there that i think gets him is i want my bride back which he mentions twice well he says, "Instead, you sent him. Instead, you sent him, Mance, to Winterfell to steal my bride from me." Mm-hmm. And he says, "I will have my bride back." And then and he later, he's at the top of the next I, paragraph. I want my bride back. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. So, so I think it's that because it's uncertainty about Arya. Um, I, I think that's the the one that maybe drives him over the edge. I, like, as much as the language is inflammatory, using bastard all over the place, I don't think that really gets to him as much anymore mm-hmm. oh yeah i don't think he really cares that much about saving mance not any more than neglecting his night's watch duties. right right yeah. uh, like and there's that little bit in there where he's like thinking about all of his family members 
mm-hmm. right before he gives the you know or maybe even during when he gives the leave the boy behind part um i, I feel like it's the family component specifically all right enough of this i have to go i have to go make sure Arya. i don't know where did she escape where is she he has Mance, but Mance should be with Arya. What is going on? Like, I think I think that's the tipping point for him. Is I've got to go do this now. Yeah, you you nailed it. The the conflict he feels. There's that that paragraph that you're referring to. He thinks about Rob with the snowflakes in his hair, mm-hmm. and then he thinks about kill the boy, and then he thinks about Arya or Sansa with Lady, and then he thinks about another thing from the Night's Watch or Ramsay calling him a bastard or something like that. And it goes back and forth, sentence by sentence, through the whole paragraph, switching between him staying true to the Night's Watch and then something about his family. Night's Watch, right. family. Night's Watch, family. It's like three or four times. And, uh, yeah, and it, two things. It could be that, one, he's like, I got to just do this so that I can focus on everything else I need to do. This is going to be mm. – this is going to bug me until I get it out of the way, right? I do that all the time at work and at home or I'm just like, I got to get this done so that I can focus on everything else I have to do. I got to get these chapter summaries written yeah. <laughs> yeah. for this podcast so I can focus on something else. <laughs> yep. uh, he could justify it by saying that. He could also justify it by saying, I got to protect the realms of men. Ramsey is a pestilence that is going to, you know, infect the whole North, and I've got to remove him. But that's not why he's doing it. He's doing it to rescue his family. Yeah. And and it's interesting you said uh, you know that that he's kind of going back and forth between you know being part of the Night's Watch and family. I actually think he's using "kill the boy and let the man be born" as motivation to go. That's what it turns into. Yeah, he. Like, it's like it. There, there no, are these. Two, I need to be a man and do this. This is yeah. what a man would do. There are these two like, ideolo- ideologies that have run parallel in his mind for so long. Yeah, and now. They finally are meeting. Yeah. And that's when he, or they cross, and that's when he decides, I'm going to do this. Yeah. I like the symbolism of the uh, him doing that in the shield hall, right? Mm. When a knight took the black, he would take his shield from his former house and hang it up on the wall, right? Symbolic of, I'm giving up my past life, and I'm starting this new tradition. And John's kind of doing the opposite opposite of that here. He's almost hanging up his Night's Watch shield mm-hmm. to to go and do what he's about to do. I thought that was interesting. Yeah. Yeah, no, it is. And uh, that shield hall, pretty sad. I think it's like less than a dozen knights actually in the Night's Watch. Right, yeah. Um, could, could, could Ghost have stopped John's fate? Oh gosh. You'd have to think that he'd given it he would have given him a fighting chance. Yeah. I mean I think I think they seem to have better senses when they're around their wolves, the Stark kids. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Seem, I mean maybe maybe they would have just, you know, set upon him with, you know, five of them at once or something and still killed him or something, but Right. You'd have to feels think like they would have contingencies have for having the wolf. Yeah. Yeah, that they would have planned for it. Probably tried to kill Ghost as well. So, so, do you think? I didn't think about this question until just now. Do you think they were gonna kill him in the Shield Hall anyway before the Pink Letter stuff? 
Like, they didn't have a lot of time to, like, go, like, okay, this is what we're going to do after the Red Letter announcement. That seems like a plan that was already, like, more or less in place. You're saying that they had planned to dis- to dispatch of him? Uh, yes. Th- so their, their yeah. plan was already to meet in the Shield Hall to talk about the ranging. Mm-hmm. He co-opted that meeting to talk about the Pink Letter as well. Right. But I, I kind of, I didn't think about this till just now, but I, I think probably they were going to kill him anyway. I think they had something planned. I, one little line, I always have these little lines that stick out to me. You probably notice this and they probably mean nothing, but they mean something to me. Dang it. Mm -hmm. There's a part where John is explaining to him what they're going to do. And it says uh, back when he's talking to Bowen Marsh and Othel Yarwick in his, in his chambers. Right. Mm-hmm. And he's explaining what's going to happen. And it said, Marsh listened attentively. And, you know, that combined with mm-hmm. Marsh crying at the end, mm-hmm. kind of it kind of almost leads me to believe that when Marsh was listening attentively, he's like, we've got this plan in place because I feel we need to get you out of here. But give me a reason to not. Because I don't really want to kill you, Jon Snow. I feel what you're doing is not good for the watch. I feel this, you're leading us down a bad path, but I don't want to kill my Lord Commander. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So that listening attentively with his, you know, him crying when he does do the deed. I just, I feel like he, he the plan was in place. So I'm saying, yes, I feel like there was a plan in place. Um, now, was it to kill him? Was it to maybe just incarcerate him? Was it to, I don't know what the original plan was, but you have to think that as Bowen and Awful Yarwick and Wick Whittlestick are huddled together in the shield hall, and this all goes down and John makes his announcement that he's leaving, and you got to think that maybe... They whispered Grolio to each other and it's on. Yeah. They whispered Grolio to each other, and they're like, we got to do this now. And then they get outside, and there's like, oh, there's some commotion. One one's killing Patrick, uh, killing a guy. Oh, look, Ghost's not here. Yeah. We got to do this now. Do this now. Yeah. Because it seems like it was kind of hastily executed. You know, Wick comes at him and misses at first. And <laughs> yeah. In the end, they were going to stab him. It was four on one or whatever. We don't even know how many guys were there, but. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So I wonder if it was kind of, they, they kind of hastily put the plan into motion after the shield hall. Does that make, but they already had one to begin with. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. I kind of always thought that like the pink letter and John's reaction to it is what pushed them over to the edge to like Mm -hmm. actually take action. But yeah, I guess I'm, I'm now thinking that maybe it wouldn't have been as imminent, but that they were going to do it. Well, like I said, maybe they incarcerate him. Yeah, maybe. Because you have to think that they know they're outnumbered. Bowen brings it up every other sentence, how outnumbered they are. Yeah. And the wildlings love John. He is yeah. their, he's their sponsor. He's their savior. He's the one guy that speaks up for him. You'd think that they'd want almost to keep John as a, Bowen would might want to keep John as, Almost like a hostage, not kill him, but kind of keep him alive. But... Do you think they love him? I mean, I know some of the leaders do, you know, Tormund specifically. Mm-hmm. But he did like betray them. 
Yeah. I mean, I know random wildling number 3012 doesn't really know any of that story, probably. I don't know that they love him. Yeah. But I think they recognize that he's he's the reason that they, you know, are on this side of the wall now and have something, have a chance. Yep. No. I don't know if they worship at his feet. They're sending him Christmas cards. Ghost tips off that something is awry. As does the raven, right? As does the raven. And Melisandre. I mean... (laughs) Melisandre's been telling him for five chapters. Yeah. Daggers in the dark. I don't know. I don't know what you do, right? You can't lock yourself in your room for your whole life, but... Yep. Man. That should have been some sort of warning. No. Uh, we also get, I, I, this is something that I've just, I guess I've finally just come around on. And, uh, did I say we're going to talk about Indomitus After Dark? We're, we're at the point where that line's awfully gray. So, well, you just feel you can uh, talk yeah. about it here, just, go for just, it. I never, I, I don't know why, but like Val in previous readings for me, didn't, I didn't, I didn't hold her in high esteem. I didn't think she was bad or anything, but like. I just didn't think she was that important, I guess. Yeah. But, she didn't carry a lot of weight. Right, right. That's a good way to put it. She didn't carry a lot of weight for me. But she carries more for me on this read-through. Mm, mm-hmm. And specifically, it feels like George has been pretty careful to, like, foster that relationship between John and Val. He's got a clear soft spot for her. Oh, yeah. And... I guess I'm saying, not that these are romance books, but I wouldn't hate it if, you know, those two crazy kids made it work somehow. I'm down, man. He's almost got this kind of, like, cheeky attitude toward her. Mm -hmm. kind of like, you can try it, buddy. Yeah. Go for it. I know how she is. Yeah, he definitely has a little thing for her, and it's cute, and... She's always a woman to me, man. Once you go wildling, Scad. Hard to go back. Uh, back. But but other people, you know, this wildling princess bit, like, it's not just... It's not just that he's got a soft spot for her as, you know, a woman, and, you know, that's all she is in this story. It feels feels like he's painting some level of importance for her. Mm-hmm. Going forward, she's gonna do something. Whether it's, you know, kill Shireen because she doesn't like grayscale, or, you know, I, I don't know. I, she's gonna do something. She's not just going away. Yeah. I, and I didn't feel that before this reread. Yep. I think before this reread, I had trouble remembering who was Dalla and who was Val. Telling <laughs> the two apart. So. Vala. Vala. Yep. All right, what else you got? You got anything else? Or should we move to Davos After Dark, where we have quite a bit to talk uh, about? 1-1 is, or you call him Woon Woon. Either way, Mm -hmm. that's fine. Uh, Say it how we want, hashtag. Um, So he's going nuts, smashing this Sir Patrick up against the wall. Uh, What do you think, you know, we focus so much on the Jon Snow stabbing. What do you think set 1-1 off? Do you think... Is Patrick going to claim Val? That's kind of what I picked up. Could be. 
Could be. Um, I never gave it much thought, to be honest. It's a good. Yeah, question. we focus so much on John, yeah. right? Yeah. <laughs> <clears throat> well, it is said earlier that one one sleeps in the entry hall of Hardin's Tower, which is where That's Val where stays. Is. And yeah. John even points out, he's like, it's a pretty good gig. She's got a giant guarding her. Like, yeah. she's going to be she's gonna be good. And Patrick talks about, John warns Sir Patrick, you know, if you want her, you got to claim her, man. And if she doesn't like you, no go. Yeah. And was Patrick he the, says... Was he in the room for that conversation? Yes. Oh, he, oh yeah, no one has ever had the need yeah, to Yeah, he says, my, uh, what is it? No yeah. man has ever had cause to question my courage. No woman right. ever will. Right, and so I wonder if uh, he, he tried to it. he tried to go for his claim, and one one's like, "Not my wildling princess, homeboy." Yeah, it's a good bet. Uh, I mean, yeah, all he would have to do is startle him, probably, right? Well, like, yeah, I don't and Wun knows that he's protecting her, and I don't, maybe he does know that. I don't know. And Patrick maybe went for him. No man has ever yeah. had cause to question my courage. He pulls out his sword. I'm not going to let a giant stop me. I'm a knight, man. We battle giants and dragons and crap like that to get to the princess. Whoink. I mean, Here's that me. would be Quentin levels of stupid. And, yep. And he ends getting his head bashed against a wall into a bloody pulp. So there is a Sosa Martin regarding Patrick. Oh, yeah? Oh, uh, about the Dallas Cowboys thing? Yeah, so George R. Yeah. R. Martin has a friend named Patrick... Uh, he's from Montreal, so I'm going to pronounce his last name as Saint-Denis, if I'm going for my hockey player Saint roots. Saint-Denis? Saint-Denis. <laughs> so we'll pay Patrick Saint-Denis is what I'm going to say. I only think of that because of hockey players and how they pronounce their names. Uh, his friend Patrick was a fan of the Dallas Cowboys. George is a Giants fan, so he took his friend and smashed him up against a wall in the book. With a giant. Yeah, with the giant. Yep. And he's, he's also uh, he's also the his cape or his like his his sigil. Yeah, his sigil is the the blue stars a, on the. It's like a falling yeah. blue star. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, so fun little thing. Uh, there is a lot that we could talk about, but Indeed. that might be it, because I think we're going to continue this chap. In, we're gonna start. Uh, we're gonna start with the red letter or the pink letter, rather. Okay. Uh, we're just gonna go. I mean, we could e- easily spend a half an hour on the pink letter. Hopefully, we won't, but we could. <laughs> All right. So I think, without further ado, we're just gonna jump right into it. Davos after dark time. Thanks for joining us. Uh, we are going to get spoilery for the last few chapters that we haven't read yet, uh-huh. um, and some theory crafting and things like that. So if you don't want that. Uh, you know, turn it off and uh, come back to us in three weeks for the final episode of Feast Dance. Not of the Davos Fingers podcast, but nope. of Feast Dance. Mm-hmm. Davos after dark. All right. Pink letter, my man. Uh, where do you want to start? So, I, I mean, uh, maybe we should talk was, about who the. Wrote uh... it? <laughs> The, the the potential candidates for who wrote it. Sure. You want to, you want to lead Just that off? List them off. So, Ramsey himself. Yep. Uh, Mance Raider. Yep. Uh, Stannis. Yep. Um, Barbary Dustin is one that's come up. Yep. Um, those are my top four. 
I've heard Theon as well, although the motive for Theon is... Theon, I've heard Asha. Yeah. Helping somebody else. Melisandre, I've heard too. Yeah. But those four, Mance, uh, Barbary, Stannis, and Ramsay himself are my top four. What do you got? In that order? No. What were they again? Ramsay, Stannis, Mance, and Barbary are your four? Yes. Those are my four top as well. Uh, with with maybe with, I mean, I think you probably saw this theory with Barbary and and Mance maybe doing it together. Um, yes, which, which I I can see happening. Yeah, I really like that. I, I like that idea. Mm-hmm. It's got a lot of interesting ideas in there. Uh, you know, a lot of a lot of this conversation hinges on like the language of the letter, which is fair. But I think I think a lot of people like they they don't they don't really look too deep at the motive, um, mm-hmm. you know like what's the motive that all these people have, and so yep. I mean to me I don't really know. I mean if we're just gonna dive into it, I don't really know what Ramsey's motive is. And I think that's why it has good potential to be him is because it feels like Ramsey would fly off the handle. And just do this. And so I think he's very much a candidate. If but but if his why John? Why not send the letter to I mean anywhere? Mm-hmm. Right like presumably he thinks his bride would have gone to John at the wall, I guess. But she wouldn't be there yet. I I mean, right? I You think? We don't know how well, long I, Yeah. Well, we don't know how long, but yeah, that's one if, thing that's if it very was smashed in seven days tenuous. of battle, seven or nine, I think it was seven. Seven. Um, you know, I, you're right. We don't actually know the timeline, I guess, but I don't know why he's writing this letter to John. He mm-hmm. doesn't really have a bone to pick with John before now, unless he thinks he has his bride, which I guess he might. But like, why would he assume that? It's a it's a weird it's a weird thing for me for this to come from Ramsey. I don't really get his motive, and yeah, he's unstable and stuff. But uh, you know what I mean? Like, am I am I missing something obvious? Well, not necessarily. And you bring up a good point. I do think that's what we need to keep in mind as we go through this: is why would they do it? That's a big thing that theory. I think we do sometimes as a Song of Ice and Fire fans, is we get so caught up in the who could it be that we forget about the why. Right. Yeah. yeah. Um, I mean, Stannis has a clear motive. He wants more troops to come down. Uh, he knows that simply asking would net the same thing he's gotten when he asked John a million other times. He just says no. Right. Well, um, go ahead. Here's the thing I thought of. Mm-hmm. First of all, your point is well taken. Why would he assume that um, his bride would go to the wall? Uh, mm-hmm. And that Theon would go to the wall and everything. And you made the point yourself that maybe it's because it's John. And, um, but Ramsey knows that Arya is not Arya, right? Yeah. And Jane Poole could expose him if mm-hmm. they find out who she really is. Yep. So that could be part of the motive. Of him. Right. No, I I think his motive is to get to get Jane back. Mm-hmm. I just don't know why he assumes that John. He knows that she's not real, 
So her actual motivation to go to the wall wouldn't be strong. Yep. Right? So, I... Maybe, I don't though. know. I, maybe maybe she would, but, like, why wouldn't she go south? or go? I mean, it seems... Because it's... I mean, maybe I, it's the closest place. I guess her handlers and... might push her to the wall. I don't know. And that you it could find... Like... She feels like you can find asylum there. Maybe the same reason Alice Karstark went is that of all these different sides in this war and everything, the Night's Watch kind of stands alone as this one that hasn't taken sides yet. Yeah. No, that's fair. Yes. I just, I don't know. It's something, something about them, about it does not strike me well. It, it doesn't feel exactly right. And maybe that's why this mystery is so well crafted by George is none of these feel completely right to me. No. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I have other reasons for thinking it's not Ramsey anyway. Um, it's more than just motive, but um, go for it. Ram- Ramsey's near the bottom with the reason. Yeah, let's well, let's my, just dive in. Yeah, my biggest reason is is and you know this is I don't think it's original. Although I, I've I've somehow missed a lot of discussion about the pink letter. I haven't dived in a lot until until now. I've purposefully um, held off on it. Yeah, I know it's a and, black hole that people have every right. theory in the book, and it's like I don't even have strength for this until we get to it. <laughs> so the term "black crow" is said twelve times in all of the series. Yes, um, including including the World Book. Uh, sounds like you did the same search. Three times by Osho, one by Craster, two by Egret, one by Rattleshirt, one by Mance, one by Harmat Dogshead, one by John. Referencing how wildlings refer to the Night's Watch, almost like a quote, one mm-hmm. by Tormund, and, and then in the Pink Letter itself. Um, majority by Northern, and mostly wildlings. No, it's all wildlings. Right. All of it. It's all wildlings. I think, other I thought, than John. I thought like Amory Lorch said it once or something like that. Maybe he just said crows. I don't know. But maybe anyways. he said black crows instead of black crow. Yeah, uh, something I did like that. Black crow specifically because that's I think that's what it says in the letter. But um, uh, they're all wildlings. And so I, I don't know. Maybe it's not deliberate, but it feels like a pretty damning piece of evidence it that definitely there was stuck out a wildling, i.e. Mance, or one of the spearwives, I guess, uh, involved in the creation of this letter, or smart enough to know, this is a stretch to me, or smart enough to know that wildlings say this word. Or you know, I don't know. I, I that doesn't that wouldn't even make sense because why would they be framing a wildling? So I, I think it has to be a wildling. This is this is the damning piece of evidence to me that it's Mance. Somehow, maybe Mance and Barbary, but it's Mance. I want to believe it's Mance because I love Mance, and it fits with my Mance Rhaegar theory. If he's trying to get John to the friggin' Winterfell, so I love it. <laughs> <laughs> but but why though? So I struggle with his motive as well. I don't think he has a really good motive for this. Yeah, my theory is that he's trying to hasten John coming to the wall or, or coming to Winterfell. But why? Because on, of something. Because of something. Thing, or because of something he found in the crypts. Uh, you know, I theorized in our episode where Theon escapes that Mance wasn't there. Right? Why wouldn't Mance participate in the escape that he? went to actually there was this whole reason for going to winterfell why wouldn't he participate yep. in the actual escape the spearwives say well he's got to do something and i theorize maybe he's in the crypts maybe he's found something with liana's tomb or something i don't know what that could be uh mm-hmm. and maybe he's colluding with barbary 
you know, now we talk about that they're doing something. Maybe they're getting this freaking letter written. I don't know. And, um, and and you think that that colluding has something to do with John? It could be. They want to get John, Grand Northern Conspiracy. They want to get him down there. That's that's the motive I put down for Barbary, is that she's part of the Grand Northern Conspiracy and robs and, and Mance is like, the will. Yes, and John so needs to do this. Wall, but. Yeah, and Mance like, John needs to do this. You know, he's at the wall, he's doing his thing, but where we really need him is down here. This is where it needs to start. I need to show John something. I don't know. But, uh, yeah, that's my reasoning for him wanting to get down there. Is it tenuous? Yes, probably. Here's a problem with Mance. There's a few. Go. Uh, well, okay, I'm not as smart. I, I thought of only, I think, one. Um he's actually seen whites and others and he knows that the, the risk is real mm-hmm. at the wall mm-hmm. and he probably wants people at the wall right unless he feels that winterfell is a better suited place to lead okay so your your argument is he found something that that winterfell is a key or mm-hmm. john's needed there or some some something more than or, the wall or team team John and he's you know in on it somehow, um, you know that yes. he knows John is who he is. Um, some, something in that vein is kind of where you're headed. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, but I really like the Mance idea. Maybe we'll stay in that vein for a minute. Um, King beyond the wall. He's he says that in his letter. That sounds like wildling talk to me. Does. Just that phrase itself doesn't sound like something Ramsey would be familiar with, calling someone a king beyond the wall, right? Yep. Um, let's see. Uh, there is that theory out there about friends whose heads are upon the walls of Winterfell. I think we talked about this, thing, wasn't it? the theory before that this, the snowmen that were built up along the ledges, uh, Manderly, Dustin, Stout, and Umber... Mm-hmm. So that Mance and Barbary may have pointed that out. Mance and or Barbary. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so King Beyond the Wall, Steal My Bride. It makes more sense that it would be Barbary because she's tied into the GNC. Right. And it's, was it Stoutsmen building them? Or, or Randily men building the, the snowman? There were different, yeah, squires doing it. Yeah. Stuff. But, uh Mance Raider. He, they say the name Mance Raider in there. As far as we know, Ramsey's called him Abel. But that brings me back to to um, a, a sticking point for me, which is that Ramsey can apparently be incredibly persuasive with his methods. And could he have sussed some of this information out via torture or something like that? Right? But the the name, him actually saying the name Mance Raider, when Ramsey didn't know it was Mance Raider, that might yeah. be something. It, uh, it's it's oddly specific for Man, for Ramsey to have gotten those details out. Yes. Yep. Um. You know the things that he asks for. Why, why would Ramsey care about? Um. Where is it? Uh. Salish, Shireen, wild, and Melisandre. The wild, wildling prince and princess. Mm. Yep. What, what is why? Why would Ramsay care about that? 
Mm-hmm. It, but but if you look at it from Mance's perspective, uh, he asks about the things that other people would want, and then he he just kind of throws the little couple things he wants in at the end. Just hopes it's kind of like uh, when you're underage and uh, you go to the store to buy beer, and <laughs> you don't just get beer; you get like thirty dollars worth of groceries and beer, and you're like maybe they'll just I'm just buying beer too. They won't question it, right? They won't question the Wilding Prince and Princess because I'm just throwing them in with this list of other things I want. Yeah, so are you saying that when he asks for Celise, Shireen, and Melisandre that those three could be the groceries if it's Mance? Or is there a reason that he wants those three as well? No, they're groceries. They're things that Ramsay, it would make sense for Ramsay to ask for. So he's asking for them. Yes, because because they are remnants of this overthrown false king that he mm-hmm. wants to finish off. Okay, right? I like that. End end the line, get rid of his queen, end his, you know, get rid of his daughter, get rid of this witch that, you know, had people ensorcelled and you know, get rid of the threat. So it makes sense that he's asking for them. Mm-hmm. Um you know, and throw these other things in too because maybe they won't notice like the beer. I thought of something else and it could just be uh, they're not the two things aren't mutually exclusive it could be both uh is that as far as Barbary and Mance know Stannis is outside Winterfell's walls right they don't know that he's holed up in the Crofters village yeah. um so they could be wanting those three to come down to kind of pacify things be yeah. like listen John's here with Selyse and Shireen and your red witch it's okay, man. Trust us. Put down your swords. <laughs> right. Yeah, it could be. Uh, let's um, see. I want my reek does sound very Ramsey-ish, but Mance and Barbary have been in Winterfell with the two of them, and no doubt they've right. heard Ramsey probably call um, yeah. Theon my reek. So. But again, it's a... Um... It's a weird inclusion. It, that I can see It's a weird inclusion is... for, for anybody but Ramsay. It's a weird inclusion. Yeah, unless they feel that Theon can give them more intel on Winterfell that they need him for. Yeah, maybe. Which I don't know that it's that important. I can definitely see Theon being the groceries. I like this little comparison you've come up with. <laughs> I just made it up on the fly just now. Theon's, Theon's the milk. Yeah. <sighs> um know. one good. So one thing that could point to Ramsey, but I will explain it uh, another alternative too is the handwriting. Um the spiky hand. Huge and spiky handwriting which sounds like it's very distinctive in uh in Westerosi letters and stuff, the huge and spiky handwriting that John mm-hmm. calls it out in this chapter. John received a letter from Ramsay Snow earlier in A Dance with Dragons, talking about what had happened at Moke Lynn. And it's possible that that handwriting was distinctive enough that John would notice if it was different. 
And he doesn't call it out. And he doesn't call I mean, it out. He doesn't point think in the about chapter it. that they're questioning his veracity. So he he is thinking in those terms of like, is this real? Right. Nothing about the handwriting could yeah. maybe isn't that big of a deal. Um. There's also the pink button of wax, uh, which you know, if it were Ramsey, like why wouldn't he just use the seal? Mm-hmm. Um, of course, there's that bit of pink wax from the other letter that was hanging around again by Moat Kalen. Um, right. That could have been picked up by any of Barbary Theon. That's my response uh, to it. Is that letter down yeah. at Moat Kalen? She was watching Moat Kalen, right? She says to mm-hmm. Theon. She had yeah. a heavy watch on Moat Kaelin looking for Eddard's bones. She could have found that letter. And it says that that letter was written in Lord Ramsay's own hand. So she could have easily then tried, to, yeah. tried to copy the way that Ramsay wrote. Right. Yep. Um, how about the, uh, the magic sword? Mm. Does anyone in the northern camp even know about the magic sword? Um, there were those few when Stannis first arrives at Winterfell. Oh, you're talking about actually in, in the, uh, arrives at Winterfell when Stannis pulls out his sword, not at Winterfell at the wall. Stannis arrives at the wall and pulls it out and everything. No, sorry. I'm talking about, I'm talking talking about about the people at Winterfell. Yes. People in the Northern, in the Ramsey Bolton, Dustin in in that camp does anyone even know about the magic sword only Mance I believe like did, was it written in letters that they sent around maybe oh. rumor had gotten around maybe that maybe. King Stannis had a magic sword yeah I also don't buy the seven days thing with the state that we know both armies are in I don't think either army could make it seven days. <laughs> uh, yeah. It's a weird... I tried to Google, like, longest battles in history, and what I ended up with was, like, longest wars in history, which didn't mm-hmm. really help. Years and years I feel, and years. I mean, I feel like the number of people they have, a seven-day battle does not make sense. I think, And I think they'd all just collapse from exhaustion before a side <laughs> one. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> It's a it's a weird it's a it, even like forget whether it's possible it's a weird detail to include period yeah I can't, I've never been able to suss out like any any motive for any of the candidates to use that language at all like what if it, it was a clue or just something. say he was defeated yeah what's what's it what's it giving us just say he was defeated why in seven days of battle if you're doing him homage by saying he you know knew how to last a long time I mean what's I, I don't, I've never, I, I want to go read up now on this since I avoided it for so long and see what people say about that because it, it's just a weird detail to include. Yeah, if it's just maybe just something yep. they put in there. Maybe. You know my theory on that. I but, do. Uh, we talked about Black Crow. There's also, I saw in the Twitter argument, there was somebody saying a similar thing about False King, doing a search on that. Uh, I did do that. Um, false king is a term mostly used in Stannis's storyline mm-hmm. by Mel or Stannis or Davos or you know others. Um, 
and notably by Mel in a speech to the Wildlings right. referencing Mance. Mm-hmm. But it is also said by Sears. It's said by a few others as well. It's not just, it's not isolated to, you know, one group of people, although it is mostly used in Stannis' storyline. The Black Crow thing, it's all Wildlings, except well, John, and he's actually referring to how Wildlings talk about the Night's Watch, like he's quoting them almost. Right. Yeah, False King feels more like a common term that people term, would say yeah. as opposed to Black right. Crows or King Beyond the Wall. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. <sighs> Where are we? What do you? What else do you got? I, we've covered most of the things I had. Um, Me too. Let's see. Handwriting. Oh, um, I had one more thing. Is it just one? Let me make sure. Is it just one? Uh, there's the bastard language, which is just kind of a general point. It's meant to inflame John, but I'm not sure it points to anybody. All of them know probably. I mean, all of them know John's all a bastard. Of them know. All of them know yeah. it might inflame him. Yep. Some know him better than others and would expect it. Like Stannis and you know Mance probably would know better, but I, I don't think it really points anything in any way. Um, the other one I had that's weirdly personal. Um, for someone that wasn't there for this lie, your false king lied, and so did you. Mm-hmm. You told them you burned the king beyond the wall. Um, did John tell Huge the world clue. that they burned the king beyond the wall? Nope. So, so either it's Mance, I don't remember a big letter writing campaign, or so it's Ramsey, or it's Ramsey somehow got it out of Mance. Right. Right, or so oh, because Stannis doesn't know, does he? Stannis, Stannis would know? know. Yes. So Stannis would know. Stannis. So, but well, but again, no. it's Stannis I'm, I'm, thinks that it's Mance. He does not know that it's Rattleshirt. That's what I thought. So, but still, it's very personal. It's it's a like why include that? It's, who cares what whether I told him I burned the king beyond the wall? Why is that? Imp- this is just a wildling to you. Why are you bringing this up? If Ramsey, yeah. Mm-hmm. If if it's Ramsey, like what does that mean? What do you care? If it's, it's Mance, it's a clue, right? If it's Mance, it's it. Yeah, it matters a lot. It's something he takes personally. It's it's a well, and it's it, only, and, and it's something only and a couple people to, know that. Right, only a couple of people know it, and it's something that would inflame the wildlings a lot. Which, if it's if it's his motive to get his people off the wall, you said his motive is to get John off the wall, maybe, but maybe it's both to if bring the wildlings people, with him. I would say right, to bring to, the wildlings with him. Yep, right, and that will certainly get them banging their shields. Right, mm-hmm. let's go get Mance. Right, they love that dude. So, um, it's a clue for Mance, I think. Yep. <sighs> so uh, that's about all I got. And it, yeah. it felt, I don't know whether people got a lot out of that. It was very rambling and kind of jumping around. In summary, who wrote the red, who wrote the pink letter in your opinion? I'm just going to dive all in, Scad. I'm going to say Mance and Barbary together. Don't yeah, even care. I, just um, diving in. I, <laughs> Deep end. I'm going, I'm going with, I'm going with Mance and I'll, I'll give a nod to maybe Barbary's involved as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it certainly would answer some questions about why she was interested in the crypts. Um, you know, some things about that. 
I, I could see her being involved, but I know I, I I feel I feel like there are enough clues in there, the black crow thing, the you lied about the king beyond the wall, that stuff. There's enough clues in there that I think Mance is involved, for yep. sure. I'm going for Mance. I know a lot of people don't feel that way. Don't care. I think Mance did it. Yeah. I'm still I'm still I still don't love I still don't love his motive. I I still don't really. You know, like, it's got to assume something, and, you know, we don't know the story yet. It's got to assume something weird happened mm-hmm. that he knew at some point during the caper of stealing Jane that, no, no, plans changed. I'm not just stealing her and getting out of here. I need to do this other thing instead. Right? Something weird happened that caused him to think that way. And I don't I don't love not knowing what that is and still picking him, but I think it's the best choice we got. I know why it is, and it's called Mance Rhaegar, but... Yeah, 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 get his son, get his son down there. Uh, we did take a poll on Twitter. Who wrote the pink letter? And uh, 62% ran said, with, said it was just old Ramsey. Yeah. They're like, can't you read? It says right there in the book. It's signed Ramsey Bolton, duh. It's signed Ramsey Bolton. No, yes. and we don't mean to disparage the people that think it's Ramsey. There's plenty of reasons why it could be just Ramsey, and maybe the torture angle is the this. biggest one. I I think, like you said, the what? The torture angle. Like there's a there's a lot of information here. I don't think he had, right? Yes. But he could get it by torturing, and it's maybe. noted that Mance didn't didn't rendezvous like he was expected with the Spearwives. Mm-hmm. So maybe he was caught. I don't know how, but you know maybe he was. Yep. We don't know. Mance Raider came in second at 24%. Stannis, who I thought, with all the Stannisites out there, I thought we might get more thinking it was him. Uh, 8%. It's it's just, you know what, it doesn't... My problem with with Stannis has always just been this reeks, no pun intended, of deception. And that's that's just not not really Stannis' game. Agreed. His brain wouldn't come up with it. I mean, he would have had to have been led there by somebody. Mm-hmm. Right, his brain wouldn't. It just wouldn't go there. Mm-hmm. It'd just be like, no. If I want John off the wall, I'll ask him, and he'll come. Like, I'll command him. King. Right. So, like, he wouldn't. The deception game isn't really his thing. Mm-hmm. Um, it's the main reason I like Stannis. But yeah. Oh, All right. Boy. Uh, so oh, we did. We did. So you said we could spend half an hour talking about <laughs> the pink letter, and we spent half an hour right. talking about the pink letter. Think so. that we did. <laughs> Let's, we're on our way to a three-hour-plus episode again. Um, you want to talk about John's fate? Let's talk about John's girl, fate. We, we got to. About John. We got to right. talk about John's fate. Yeah. Uh, is he dead? Yeah, How I think he's dead. How long he dead? I think he's in Ghost, but I think he's dead. Wouldn't it be just like, you've heard like... Uh, mm. I don't want to. Should I give like a show spoiler? I don't. I, I know we have people that don't watch the show that probably don't want to know this stuff. So yeah. I'll just. Yeah. I'll leave it out. I. It would be. It would be pretty awesome if John just died. And if he was just gone. It, uh, this goes. This goes against everything I stand for, like narrative purpose and character developments and all this stuff. But it would almost be a big enough fuck you that like it'd be hilarious if he just died after all of that work put in. You are heartless, man. First the Cersei thing I, and now this. I like John. I, I actually really like John, but uh, I don't know. 
it I think feels like with it feels like with all the setup that happens in the prologue with Faramir that yeah Gurm is just it's forecasting that this yeah. is going to happen right yeah uh this meaning to listeners who may not be catching our drift because <laughs> i realize we haven't explained this very well that john has gone into ghost uh at the time of his death and is now inside of ghost or warged into ghost yes evidence yeah, I, for it it. It's, it adds up um what's interesting is what happens next um yeah you know we've seen weird weird results of people being brought back to life by by this magic we've certainly seen that mel's magic is a bit hit and miss if it is mm-hmm. indeed mel that brings him back um you know it, i feel like he's just got to go I, I i don't i don't expect nor do i really want to read the rest of john's pov in wolf uh you know in wolf form sure um but i wouldn't mind a chapter of his thoughts floating around with with uh, ghost. Yeah, before he's brought back. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. um, there is that Mel prophecy where she sees, now he was a man, now a wolf, now a man again. Mm-hmm. Forgot about that. That seals it, right? Oh, totally. <laughs> so so then maybe the last remaining question is what's he going to be like when he gets revived is he going to be like Barak? is he going to be like stoneheart is he going to be because he's been able to to you know have his consciousness in ghost is he unchanged and they just right. need to tape up the wounds and he's fine you got to think that he's going to be changed a little bit i don't know it feels like they've forecasted that a little bit with stoneheart changing even Barak has changed he yeah. kind of forgotten who he is a little bit but yep. This is different. This is a guy who's died, but whose essence has perhaps warged, is still lives inside of another yep. creature. So you bring him back. That's different, right? Yeah. Than just raising someone from the dead. And yep. maybe they will just raise him from the dead. Maybe he's not inside Ghost. I don't know. But it feels like he is. It, it says feels John like doesn't shattered too much. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it says John doesn't feel the fourth knife, but he does feel the cold. And then when Varamir experiences he his true death, yeah. he says true death came suddenly. He felt a shock of cold, and then he wakes up inside of a wolf. Right. It just yeah. It just feels like why would Gurm give us this whole prologue about warging and true death and second life and everything if it didn't mean something later on he wouldn't so um should we move on to robert strong or do you got more for this uh who is john not much i mean i did a little work on what i think they're going to do with john uh i think they're going to put him in the ice cells to preserve his body Mm -hmm. you know to what end just to, to like deliver his bones like what like why Maybe they'd like, maybe Melisandre's like, I don't know how we're going to bring him back, but I've got like some idea. We just need to like keep him on ice for a while until I could do this, you know? You mean Mel does it. So yeah, I thought you meant like the Night's Watch. Uh, Well, maybe his pals do. Yeah. I mean, we have an, we have an interesting, he doesn't have any pals left. I mean, satin and, you know, leathers, maybe like leathers, I guess Uh, you, you get, 
Yeah, so it's in a weird spot. We haven't talked about this yet. I mean, maybe we talked about it in another episode before, but, like, what's going to happen? Maybe it's absolute chaos now. John's killed. Like you said, he's kind of been the talisman for them. Do they now just revolt and start killing Night's Watchmen? You know, does... What does Solis do? Like, there, there's a there's a huge question of, like, what's really going to happen at the Wall now that John's gone that I don't think gets talked about that much. Yeah, I love that question. I can see the chaos happening. Um, I can also see that maybe a coalition forms between the Night's Watch, who know they are outnumbered, and Solis's men, even though there's not very many. Not very many. Um, One fewer now. <laughs> right. But with, they also make a point to say that a lot of those wildlings have been dispersed along the wall. Yes. So their, their power isn't as con- concentrated in Castle Black as it was. But I don't know. Yet, you know, will Tormund still go to Hardhome? Is that mission still going to go on? I think not. I would think not. I think the Night's Watch would be like, uh, by the way, we're not going on your stupid mission. Maybe they yeah. still let Tormund go. Yeah. But you can try it if you want, bud. You know, get at it. We're better off without you. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think the Night's Watch will refuse. Man, there's got to be something that happens, though. Battle at the, battle at the Wall? Take battle, battle at the Wall type thing. Yeah. yeah. If, if the Night's Watch can contain... The wildlings at Castle Black. Maybe that's what Val does. She unites the wildlings. We're just off off in guest land. No, I like this. She unites the wildlings and they uh, take control. And yeah, because if the if if the Night's Watch can contain the the wildlings at Castle Black and prevent anyone from getting out along the wall to warn all the other wildlings at the other castles, Mm -hmm. then. These Night's Watchmen can go and and take them by surprise, kind of almost castle by castle. They can mm-hmm. go and take their own castles back with all these different scattered Here to deliver supplies! Along the wall. Yeah, exactly. The Lancelot, Galahad, and I jump out of the rabbit. rabbit. Perhaps if we built a large wooden badger. Wooden badger. <laughs> but maybe if Val escapes, she can be the one to, like, Paul Revere everything. I don't know. Mm. Mm-hmm. Could be fun. Could be fun, her, Scad. Her and the baby on the road. Yeah. I like it. Yeah. That's what I think what's, is what happens. Yep. All I've right. Decided. I convinced you. I gave you no information. You ran off and did it yourself. And then you <laughs> gave me credit for it. And now you think it's happening. <laughs> it's happening, man. That was a play-by-play of what just happened for the last five minutes. I'm just done caring. About what happens until I actually read it. <laughs> uh, there's this whole thing called fan fiction, Matt. You could go write it. Yeah, yeah I'm already knee deep in this stuff, man. Mm-hmm, Mostly yeah. with Garland and Willis stuff, but that's yeah. neither here nor there for this episode. But it's the story we all those are more read. Those are more romance novels. Yeah. Willis and Oberon, and you know, with illustrations. Willis and me. Yep. <laughs> Your little stick figure drawings. <laughs> it's as good as I can emphasis do. Okay? On, emphasis on the word stick. <laughs> Does he have three uh, legs there? <laughs> yeah, nope. 
Okay. Yeah. The other stuff's going to go quick compared to this, right? Yes. I think so. Robert Strong. Yeah. Gregor Clegane, obvious. Obviously. Yeah. Uh, you added a little interesting thing about appeasing both the crown and the faith. You want to go into that? I don't know that it means much other than just Kyburn being like, you know, I'm going to get, first of all, sorry, stepping back for everybody. Um, Gregor's armor, it, it made mention that his helmet has rainbow plumes and his cloak is clasped with uh, the clasps holding his cloak on are seven pointed stars. Um, but I wonder if it's just, you know, Kyburn throwing that in there to kind of try to gain a little bit of sympathy from the, the crown, but I don't know if it means too much, right? Yeah. I don't, it's a nice touch. Um, it's a little detail that Gurm sees fit yeah. to throw in there. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I kind of hate it, to be honest. The whole Robert Strong I, thing in general? All of it. Yeah. Yeah, I kind of... Um, narratively, I don't like it. I, I like the idea of Oberyn actually killing this guy and having him disappear. And uh-huh. having that be the revenge for Dorne that they ignore, like narratively, that's interesting that they get their revenge and they still it's still not enough. Yep. Um, now you have some weird zombie anti anti revenge walking around, um, which I guess might be interesting if one of the Sand Snakes interacts with him again in some way. But I don't know. Um, yeah, we got Nymeria on our way to King's Landing. Yeah, right? Nim's on our way there. Yeah, um, and and also uh, not just Nim. Uh, the Septa one. Shit, what's her name? She's my favorite one. Tyene. Tyene. She's my favorite too. She's going. She's going too. Um, and so that might be interesting, I guess. But I just would have liked the. I, I would have liked that to be an end. They kill I, each other. I get it. In this, it 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 speaks to, um, it speaks to uh. Oh jeez, I'm failing with the names. Oberyn's paramours. Uh, a comment about you know when does it end? Well, you know what it ends when they kill each other, right? As everything they else t- in this book ends, they they took each other down. Like that should be the end of it. It's kind mm-hmm. of a little nice poetic thing. So I don't love that he's back. Period. I I don't love it. And you know what are you gonna do? Unless you do you know Clegane Bowl, which you're gonna feels kill him again. Heavy handed too. Yeah. Like what's his what's he doing? I, I don't know. I don't like it. It, it, it also, it, it, you know, it brings in the horror element, which I could, you know, we've talked about Bolton as a vampire and zombies already with the ice zombies and mm-hmm. fire zombies. And now we got Frankenstein's monster. And I don't know. I just, I could do without it. Yeah. I, I don't love it, period. But whatever. Well, what, what do you think? Whatever. Yeah. I'm not invested in this whole Robert Strong thing at all. He's not going anywhere. Like, he's not yeah. going to be the last guy standing. Something's going to happen to him. Yeah. So, whatever. I guess it could be kind of cool if Loras took him down. I see that as a what potential happened at candidate. The joust yeah. At the, in the first book. Clear back in Game of Thrones. It's a fun callback. Yeah. Reach around, please. Please. Yes. Excuse me. My mistake. Remember, it's this fine. is not my best episode. <laughs> Uh, so, okay, move on from, from Robert Strong. Um, we already talked about the Marine Yunkai thing. How about, have, how about, yeah. how about Jorah? What's, what's Jorah's arc here? 
I think he's going to get back with Danny. Yeah. That apply that implies you think Danny's coming back. Um Yeah. Totes. Yeah. I think so too. I feel like uh, he's got some sort of, you know, he and Tyrion both are kind of on some sort of maybe redemption arc. I've never been a huge fan of Jorah's, but um, I think there's more more to more to his tale than you know. Homeboy's been around since the first book. Yeah, he has. That brand on his cheek now—that'll definitely get Danny a little sympathetic. I think. (laughs) <laughs> it might I mean she's she's been we, I think we talked about this last episode she's been softening I think on her memory of him anyway Totes. and thinking yeah. and thinking that maybe she was too hard on him um, I sure, miss but... you mm-hmm. alright so there you go there you have it Matt and Scad both think Jorah will get back in Danny's reasonably good graces and back in her service. So there. <laughs> so there. Uh, so let it be written, so let it be done. Uh, yeah, that was the Bible for you, Matt. You're welcome. Look at you. It's also a, it's also a Metallica quote. Which is probably why I know it. Uh, Quentin's death. How does it affect Dorne? Or does it? Oh yeah, it's gonna wreck the guy. Do they ever find out? How? I mean, I guess you know Barristan said he's gonna get the bones back, but I don't know. Yeah, it's um, not. It's not a done deal that this information ever even reaches him. It's forever away. There's two people that care about delivering it. If you don't count Barristan, you know, and they've got a they've got a pretty dangerous job to do before before. Yes. Uh, before they can even go, Barristan sends him out. With, with sends him out to get the hostages to get Dario oh. and Hero and Jogo back. Yeah, right. I forgot about that. But it'll it'll wreck him, man. Yeah. Um, I mean, yeah, it should. <laughs> definitely it should. I mean, it's not just not just his son dying, but um, you know kind of at his command in a mission that was ill-suited for him. Yep. yep. Your fault, Doran. Your yeah. fault. But, uh, you know, that could obviously sour Doran against Danny and her dragons, which I think we've talked about this before, could lead him to support Aegon, which it seems like Arianne and Aegon are already on a collision course. Judging yeah. from the wind sample chapters. Yep. So, sorry those of you who are trying to avoid wind spoilers. Um, but you should know by now we talk about the wind spoilers. We do. So, it, it seems like Doran's heading to Aegon. Agreed. I think I agree. If, if, even, even, if they don't, even if he doesn't get the news, I feel like Doran's been like, as cautious as he... As he puts himself out there to be he's like all right marriage contract that one didn't work out new marriage contract go get it um new opportunity okay let's do it you know like i think he's 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 being more aggressive with sending the sand snakes to to king's landing i think he thinks the time is now and yeah he's gonna seize on it yeah 
Yeah. May not be dragons, but they got elephants, right? <laughs> all right. Uh, I think that's it. I think that's all that's we got. It. Yeah. It's, it's time. I can feel it. I can feel it coming from you. The, we, the yawns. We we have a time. Maybe it's just me that has a time, but <laughs> when we get on to one, it's getting a little dicey. And that time yeah. is now. Yeah. 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 Well, Kalisar, thanks. Uh, thanks for listening in. I hope you uh, enjoyed the episode. Uh, I certainly had a good time recording it. Um, Matt did too, but he's getting sleepy. I I had a great time recording it. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, all right. Shall we sign off? We shall. So you know I'm not going to go an episode without talking about the new Dave Matthews Band album. Oh, of course. Come tomorrow came out, uh, and it is fantastic. This has nothing to do with the episode, but it has become one of my favorite lines of all time. Where Dave taking he's he's talking about a relationship and he shoots it out to the cosmos. He throws in some biology. And then he brings it back home to he and the woman he loves all in one line. And I thought it was brilliant. So I'm sharing it with you guys as my sign-off quote. So this is Matt signing off saying, Blood and bones, black holes and stones, all those things paved the way for you and me. Good night. That's very uh, that's a very big bang for you, Matt. It's very sweeping. <laughs> hey, I don't uh, rule out the idea of a big bang theory. All right, that's that's uh, that 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 can exist in the same realm as creation. That could be the method by which God allowed the creation to occur. Huh? Huh? I've heard the argument before. I disagree with it vehemently, but I don't bring that up because it offends people. But anyway, <laughs> I thought we were going to get out of here with a, maybe a Black Crows tune, but I'm sure we're going to hear that the the Dave Matthews one. Uh, my quote is. Uh, a mashup, which I do sometimes. Adventure, excitement. A Quentin craves not these things. No, he does not. Well done. <laughs> Good night, everybody. Good night. Blood and bones, black holes and stones. All those things paved the way for you and me. Got a job and it pays me. One love more than I deserve. But I've got my uh, plate of chicken nuggets because I'm a four-year-old that I will nice. be eating while you do your chapter summaries. <laughs> and awesome. that is my life in a nutshell right now. <laughs> yeah, you find those is. little minutes. <laughs> yeah. No, I know. But yeah, it, well, even later they mention how the harpy is back at it again. They'd killed 29 people during the night, right? But I believe this conversation about the children is made when they're still talking about Marine or the young Kai. So, yeah, it's odd. Yes. Okay. Well, if you felt weird about it, too, then I'm okay. I felt weird. I've also I've made an error. So I, I don't remember this in the chapter about the Sons of the Harpy have killed 29 people in the streets. They're back at it, man. I missed that somehow. Like, are... hmm. unless. <laughs> oh. Damn it, Scad. <laughs> what? Are you going to double check something now? Dang it, Scad. Well, I did read ahead to the next chapter. Oh. Well, we made a, we made a spoiler. Maybe. Tough to do at this point. Good job, man. <sighs> I need to go to bed. <laughs> <laughs>
We're oh, limping man. to the finish line. <laughs> it could have been in the next Barristan chapter that he says that. I will fully admit. I read the next Barristan chapter and I read his Winds of Winter sample. Uh, so yeah. I could be way off. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh. Maybe my yeah. worst episode ever. Maybe and you just spoil the Barrison lives through the winds to the winds of winter. <laughs> maybe, maybe my worst episode ever. This may just be it. You know what? It's a Tuesday night, Kalasar. We're recording on a Tuesday night. We usually record on a Friday. And uh, to meet my demanding schedule, I had just a crazy work week last week. Uh, Matt helped me out, so now he's dealing with the fact that you know some of these chapters maybe he read a while ago. Well, so thanks, Matt, for taking one for the team. Blood and bones, back holt. Start over. Try again. Blood Riders, hope you enjoyed the episode. We kept it simple this time. Only one song that we sampled here, and you just heard it. That is called Black and Blue Bird by the Dave Matthews Band, off their most recent album, Come Tomorrow, which was just released and is fantastic. A joyous, happy tender, wonderful album that I highly recommend. Anyways, we got to get to work on our last Feast Dance episode, so I'm out of here. See you guys. Good night from both Scad and I. We love you. Later. Later.